Hog Master for a minute. Oh, there he is. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. How's it going? This is Steve here at the Growing With Fishes podcast. Really awesome uh, show this week. We have a uh, heavy, uh, heavy days all the way from Australia. So uh, thanks hey, for hey. joining us. And then we hey. also have Roger. How y'all doing? Hogmaster. How's everybody doing this evening? And we got Josh from Touch Blooms. Hello. Glad to be here and glad to have uh, heavy days. <laughs> yeah. The international podcast. Uh, yeah, you guys are too kind. Is there a second or third uh, Australian guest? I think it's probably a third Australian guest we've had. Ah, that's awesome. I'll have to yeah. link up with whoever else you've had on. <laughs> we had uh, Colin, Colin Byron Black, although I think he's a politician now. And then uh, we had um, Rob Bob on as well from uh, oh, nice. Aquaponics. He's got quite the cool uh, YouTube channel. But uh, yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and uh, uh, how it is, uh, you know, uh, being a cannabis enthusiast in Australia. Yeah, so what I do, um, what most people do, I like to grow weed. Hopefully it's good. Um, but I also dabble with a bit of breeding. Um, hopefully you guys have heard of the show, the podcast. Um, it's, it's a big passion of mine. I love it. I love every episode. And um, as well as broadly speaking... I'm involved in a few other things around the scene. Like we're really lucky to have like kind of the emergence of like an Australian cannabis cup kind of thing going on. And so I've been involved in that over last year as well as this year as well, which is really cool because like the Australian scene, it's um, it's really kind of helping to bolster things. And we're kind of at this point as a scene, so to speak, whereby things are really picking up nicely. Like uh, a lot of people are aware of how it's worthwhile to kind of find these really nice phenotypes and, not just you know grow whatever and have mediocre results so things are really on the up and up and overall i would say the australian scene's almost in like a bit of a renaissance period where it's, it's really taking off kind of in the same regard that you could say the same about the uk scene I, I personally feel that way like i look at um a lot of the stuff you find online about the uk scene and it's really taking off like you know it's making these big leaps and i feel like australia is kind of following suit in many regards It's nice to see that they're finally loosening up and I see there's some production finally going on there and uh, they're not quite as close-minded as they used to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly like a, a medical system, but I think a lot of people would agree with me in that it's not the medical system you would want. It's kind of a bit of a farce. Like, it's, it's really hard to get onto it. Um, I, I've only personally heard of one person who's actually been given access to it. Like, and I think a similar thing even happened in the States in some of the individualized states where like there was a program, but it was essentially like impossible to get onto it. And so that's kind of where we're at, though there is a changing trend. And, you know, a lot of people predict that within the next two or three years, we'll have a much more kind of accessible medical program. But I'm very skeptical that it would be uh, like comparable to say like a Prop 215 type of situation. That's obviously the dream, but I'm very skeptical of that personally. It sucks that a lot, you know, a lot of other places don't get their. Um... Yeah, it just sucks that a lot of other places don't uh, get that. Oh, sorry, I got my audio set all wrong. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I uh, thought that you know some of the things that happened in the states was that it wasn't that they didn't have it so much; it was the fact they only allowed you to ha use it for one or two ailments. 
You know, like in yeah. South Carolina, you can only use it for epileptic seizures, you know, and that's the only thing it's legal for. So that's where the limitations have hit us hard in the states. In the states that have started to accept CBD oil and such like that, they still are very tight, like you were saying. Yeah, and I think that that same issue occurs here as well, where there's only very limited things that are um, able to have it prescribed for. And then likewise, there's only a very select number of specialized doctors who are able to prescribe it. So there's even a smaller number of doctors than normal. So it's, it's just hard to get access to these specialists as well. And like I personally know um, two people who, you know, like 100% deserving of being on the scheme. They've got really bad Crohn's. And like I think currently... Uh, Crohn's isn't like, you know, regarded as something where you can get access for it. So like exactly the same problem you described. Yeah. Now, so you're also saying it's really hard. To, not only is it hard to get on, but if you can get on, you have to drive. Some people have to drive long ways to get to some doctor because there's so much limitation on either the doctors that can prescribe the medical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, you've got to pay, you know, exorbitant specialist fees just to see them. And then you might even get in that room and it turns out they're some, you know, they're kind of the term we use in Australia is the old boys club, whereby they're of this old school mindset. They don't believe in medical cannabis, all that type of thing. So you might get there, pay all that money for them to just turn around and be like, no, I'm not prescribed. No, I don't believe in that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm trying to figure out. We had some audio problems with the other stream, and I'm trying to debug it, but that's okay. Um, show you have a really awesome podcast, and you've got a lot of really awesome guests. You actually just had uh, Josh and Kelly from um, uh, Dragonfly Earth. They're really, really amazing people. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your pod, your show? Yeah, of course. So my show, I, I say this to everyone, but I really feel like I need to hammer the point home. My show honestly always has been, always will be, it's just a labor of love. And a lot of people always say to me that um, like they, they feel like I ask questions that they would want to ask. And I feel like the really simple answer to that is because they're questions that I want to ask. Like the reason why I started the show was because I had a whole bunch of questions I wanted to ask breeders on like a personal level, like, you know, like get in the DMs and have a full on chat with them. But it was like, I've got so many questions. There's no way they're going to like entertain the thought of this. So I kind of thought, well, why don't I record it, you know, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have, you know, some overlap in terms of the questions I'm going to ask and curiosity. So that was how it all started. And I always give props to, um, you know, my mentor, Duke Diamond. He's he's the man. He uh, he gave me my start. He was the first person who ever did an interview with me. And uh, he also, you know, pulled some strings and um, allowed me to get that Skunk VA episode. And so with those two being the first episodes I ever did, I kind of got like a bit of momentum after that point and was able to travel on after that. And I mean, as we said now, we're up to episode 26, I believe, with the most recent being Josh and Kelly of Dragonfly, which in my opinion, one of the favorite episodes so far. If you haven't checked it out, go take a listen, especially if you're into organics or soil. It's, it's really kind of um, inspiring to say the least. And then obviously special shout outs to the Skunk VA episode, which is like my favorite one. Everyone really likes that because he's just like master level storyteller. And then finally... Uh, the Bodhi interview is great. If you just want to be happy, if you just want to be inspired, go check it out. The dude is made of happiness and light. I like that. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Steve has lost your audio. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, like, what, uh, what are some of the other guests that you guys have had on and um, 
What are uh, some of the really uh, more th uh, more unique things you've learned talking to different breeders? Yeah, that's a really good question. Some of the more unique guests we've had on, uh, I got some unique ones coming up that'll be a little left of the field, but I won't reveal. I'll, I'll maybe I'll maybe give you a little secret sooner or later. But um, one of the one of the ones I really liked was, and I think a lot of people liked it, the Matt Ride interview. Not like necessarily that he's unknown or anything. He's very well known. But it was good, you know, like a lot of the interviews I do, you can tell that people are trying to be diplomatic in a certain regard. You know, they've got feelings, but maybe they're going to, you know, kind of beat around the bush in a certain regard, especially if maybe someone's wronged them in the past. They might kind of soften the extent of what happened. Things like that, you know, pretty standard stuff. People are nice. Um, Matt, he's great, you know, straight to the point. And so he's just like throwing punchlines out like you just would not believe. And I'm, I was just sitting there jaw, jaw dropped during the time, just like, man, this guy's not holding back. This is fantastic. So it was it was a good little change of pace because it makes, you know, very interesting interview. Hey, hey. Um, but yeah. That, that was definitely one of my favorite ones. And in terms of like something unique I learned from the interviews, I think um, the interview I did most recently with uh, One Eye from uh, Oregon, he created the Dog Walker, he created um, Scooby Snacks, a few other things. But the most interesting thing he shared was that like he was intentionally breeding with hermaphroditic plants and how he you know, feels that if you do it in a correct way, you can actually get good results, which is something I'd never heard anyone even talk about. It's almost like a taboo concept to like intentionally breed with hermaphroditic plants. But he explained it well. And he, you know, there was there was conscious thought process behind it and he explained it. And, you know, I guess at the end of the day, if you choose to not pursue that type of thing yourself, that's fine. But it was truly something which no one had ever even brushed on before. That's real interesting. Now I can't wait to people to see people in the forums this week asking me all about breeding hermaphroditic plants great <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah just tell them to go check out the one eye interview it's it's got a lot of info yeah, in. that's exactly what i'm gonna do <laughs> so you have have you had a chance to see a lot of plants down there or you know here and there yeah 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 yeah. i mean you mean in australia yeah Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a thriving scene, you know, and that's something I'm really grateful for is that through having done the show um, and just through being involved in a few other things around Australia, I've been able to link up with a lot of really like-minded people and there is there is a scene down here for sure, you know, but it's up to you to build it and that's what I've realized. And so, um, you know, in certain regards, I'm very proactive about trying to build the scene and, you know, when I meet someone and they're cool, you know, I'll send them a cool clone and, and I've got a lot of really nice clones and so... You know, I, I try to share them here and there, especially if um, if it's a cool person, because I, I can see just through having done that myself, it um it really bolsters the scene a lot. And so, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff down here. But when I come over to the states and I get to hang out at the proper facilities, that's where I kind of get re-energized and um get get filled with inspiration to come back and try to do big things over here. You know. Yeah, it's nothing quite beats the West Coast for. Uh... For production that's for sure yeah or just just even be able to like walk down the street holding a bong like it's just such like you know it's such just like a foreign world to me like i remember i was with mr bob hemphill and we were at santa cruz and we were down by the beach and we we're just sitting on like a chair down by the beach just ripping bong hits of um 
Skelly. Oh, it was like such a such an awesome memory. And th- the thing though was like there was lots of people walking by, and they weren't even like looking at us, like like being like, are they really doing that? Like they literally were just walking along, like they didn't even look at us. Like we were just so low on their priority list. You know what I mean? It was just such a normalized thing, and I was just like sitting there, just like kind of giggling inside slash thinking the cops are going to rock up any moment just from like what i'm used to so yeah it's it's good like obviously seeing the plants is fantastic but just the culture you know like it's great to just i remember i was i was at a bar and i met up with a friend and um someone just put some buds on the bar yeah and it was just um it's just a different world you know it's it's great yeah sorry about that right now and then my audio is skipping i'm still having issues here i actually hooked up a different router it seems to be much smoother than last week, but uh, still having the occasional issue, so I'm not entirely sure why. It's pretty good. Hmm. That reminds so what are the me. different? Uh, what are some common strains down in Australia? Like, what are the big ones that everyone, uh, you know, everybody grows? And then what are kind of like the more, you know, uh, connoisseur strains that you maybe see once or twice a year, but maybe you've seen them for a long time? Uh, so what's kind of the strain scene down there? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think, to be honest, there's going to be some... I'm, I'm not going to be able to please everyone with this answer, so I'm just going to go with like my personal kind of answer here. Typically speaking, it's not like the States whereby you get like a really... Like kind of where you made that uh, connoisseur reference where, you know, it comes around once or twice a year. As far as my experience goes, that's not the case. There's kind of like the beasters, like the equivalent of the beasters, and that's pretty much all anyone has access to. And if you happen to know somebody who grows, you generally have to know them personally because the production in Australia is rather limited. And so like the distribution just never gets out more than like one degree of separation. So like maybe the grower has a friend and he sells like a pound to him, but like it'll never get further than that. So it's actually quite hard to come across good weed. However, going back to your question, um, some of the strains that are well known in Australia, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's really like quite early days. Like there isn't really like notable thing. Like, you know, like for example, if you looked at the UK scene and said, oh, cheese, you know, very notable UK strain, unfortunately we don't have anything to that degree. There are a few things that have been around for a while that are starting to gain some notoriety. People are probably going to hate on me because I made this one, but raspberry mama, in my opinion, is probably regarded as australia's first clone only not that like and i should clarify that in the sense that there was probably other clones going around and stuff before that but as far as i can tell it's kind of you know it's it's been around a while now a lot of people really like it it's it's holding up the test it's it's starting to get more dispersed out into the community people are breeding with it so it kind of ticks a lot of the boxes um however in saying that there's a lot of strains and most people who grow will have at least one cut that's you know pretty cool and they're probably the only one who's got it and it's not like you know like a clone only level cut but it's really good so like there's a lot of people who have bought packs of exotic genetics have bought packs of brothers grim have bought packs of dynasty and you know they've found their keepers in those packs so you do find nice stuff in terms of how many of those cuts are clone only i think that you know if i had to guess in all of australia you know there's probably like less than say 25 cuts that would be worthy of the title clone only so to speak and then the other thing is there's actually not any imported cuts i mean my friend reckons that he's got like a sour diesel cut and a forum cut from the states but i haven't really seen it so until i see it i'm not going to say it's true so as far as i can tell there are no cuts that have actually made it here because it's, it's quite hard to get cuts over here so a lot of it's from seed 
I know a lot of people that deal in the where I've got access to a lot of people in Australia that buy seeds from the United States or Europe, and it's really tough to get them in the country in the first place. That's something that I run across all the time. Uh, in fact, uh, yeah, well, I can't go into that too much, uh, but about seeds and such like that. But yeah, uh, all, all I can say is I do know about several guys in Australia. I've had friends there for over a decade, and it seems like it's hit or miss even be able to get genetics in there. Like you were saying, having a clone ship from the United States, that'd be pretty good. That'd be a pretty good task to pull that one off from what I understand up from the outside. I got you, man. We got, I got you. We got to send you something over there. <laughs> I, I, I want the Mission Impossible task. Well, I was going to say, man, I've, um, I'm happy to break the, uh, the statue of limitations here and say that, uh, on each of my trips, I, I make an effort, man, and it's, it's failed to be successful. Hmm. Yeah. So, so what is the, um, what is the hash and concentrate scene, if any, there in, uh, Aussie? So, yeah. So it's actually starting to take off a lot and, um, it's really been done off the backs of, you know, like a kind of a smaller group of people in the community who are really passionate about concentrates. I'll be straight up. I'm not one of those people. I'm more of a flower guy. I love flowers. Um, but that's just me, you know, different folks, different strokes. And so anyway, I've got some friends who are a part of this group I'm referencing who have very much built it. And I wouldn't say that there's such a big concentrate scene that there's like a differentiation between like the solventless crew and all that. Like they're all kind of one. It's all building up. There's definitely like really high quality BHO and stuff in Australia nowadays. We're starting to see some sources and some other stuff like that. Like I believe there's a few people with some closed loop systems which are allowing them to do like a little bit higher quality stuff. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there's also like actually a really kind of high quality um, like bubble hash scene in that all of the organic guys are really into making bubble hash and then turning it into rosin, just like squeezing it from there. So yeah, that's starting to take off as well. We're just starting to see the first actual presses roll out in Australia. Like there's a few stores now which do have some smaller presses um, which have got reasonable force to them. I think before that they were all kind of not quite strong enough to get really optimal results. But certainly not, I haven't seen anyone or seen any stores carrying any of the presses that like I would commonly see in the States. Like, you know, they're really kind of good ones like i remember i was at skunk va's house and he had a really nice sasquatch press and i've I've yet to see anything of that quality in australia unfortunately okay well it's interesting to hear about they're doing the bubble rosin that's it's still my favorite in, at home yeah i was gonna yeah. say that's what steve does <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got a friend gerald um shout out and uh he he makes this stuff he calls turk jerky and he basically um he squeezes, yeah, the bubble hash, and he just just ever so slightly enough, so you kind of get like it, it's almost like jerky, but yeah, it's funny. <laughs> that's uh, that's really cool. So, what is um, do you have any other unique things about uh, maybe the cannabis scene in Australia? Do you guys ever do charas or anything like that? Um, other people probably do. I mean, <laughs> I I don't. Um, in terms of unique things about the scene, um. I don't know, like, we have we have Nimbin, which is, like, kind of good and kind of bad. A lot of people are familiar with it. They kind of, sometimes it gets referred to as, like, the Amsterdam of Australia, loosely speaking. It's kind of, like, the place you go to get weed. Um, it was once, like, a really thriving place. Like, I think it's kind of died down a lot compared to what it used to be. Um, however, there's there's still the 
annual Nimbin Mardi Gras, which is held there. And that's like a big um, celebration of the cannabis and the culture and everything. So that's really awesome. So I guess, you know, maybe a bit of a no brainer, but if, if anyone was ever considering coming to Australia, try to line it up around that. And um, it's a good time of the year. It's like, it's not too hot. And it's a it's a good little celebration, and you'd actually be able to get some weed, so <laughs> that'd work out nicely. But yeah, that's that's kind of a cool thing, and 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 uh, and it's actually on the rise. It's definitely on the rise. I went there about God about seven or eight years ago, and I was much younger, and I actually was real. I, I didn't find any weed. I struggled probably partly due to how young I was at the time. Like I mean, I was over eighteen still, but like you know, when when you're older, maybe it gets easier. I reckon. But anyway having gone much more recently in the most recent few years it was like there were like people doing dabs and stuff like it wasn't like out in the open just free for all but it was so you could you could noticeably feel and see that it was more lax and so that was really positive and so that kind of ties back to earlier on how i said like you know there are people who predict that within say two or three years we may have like something really good going on and so yeah like maybe that's it and so yeah i definitely encourage everyone to kind of support those events especially like um we have these other events in Australia called the HHI Expos. They're like the Hemp Health and Innovation Expos. And like some people go to them thinking that it's going to be like the Cannabis Cup of Australia. And it's not. It's, it's, it's like, you know, there's no one smoking in public for sure. But, um, but it's really worth supporting because like if you want to have a cannabis, you know, a high times, so to speak, in Australia, like you need to support these type of ground roots events that are going to eventually flourish into that. So, yeah, I, I, I encourage everyone to support all of those things and check them out and come over around that time if you're ever considering it. That's a big turnaround from a few years ago because they were really clamping down on you guys, you know. Yeah, uh, I know. Um, I had uh, someone from Australia in one of my classes tell me that they were even in certain cities. They had parts per million meters in the sewer and they were actually finding hydro growers by checking whether the water they were flushing and finding them based on total PPMs. Uh, back to their yeah. house in the sewer well, system. Yeah, I mean, that could be true. I, I tend to think that he might have actually mistaken this other thing, which I think I know what might be going on there, where in Australia they've done a lot of tests on the sewer waters specifically for drug concentrations to figure out, like, which cities use the most stuff. But I, I'm not sure they were able to track growers back with it, but they certainly were testing the waters and being like, well, we found this much methamphetamine in the water, so therefore this city, like, there's the most meth users and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I heard that same story and, like, a version of that same story a while back. It's been a year or two since, or at least, since I heard that. But I've heard yeah. about that Yeah, it could, could well be true. I could be mistaken. But, yeah, I think... You know, um, I think they're pretty lax in Australia. And that's the other thing I say to people. Like, generally, the, the police compared to the states, like, at least back when things were illegal for you guys, um, the police here, like, they're, they're much more chill and the penalties are much more chill as well. So it's really, like, pretty good environment, so to speak. Like, I don't complain too much. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. So it's just a, maybe people were trying to keep it a secret, you know, that they were so chill. Yeah. So no, what, um, I mean, they've got that way. I think, I think like all places, right, where, as you've got opioid and meth epidemics on the rise, they're, yeah. they're less, less resources. That's the same way here, too. The, they're, they're more worried about meth labs and crack dealers than they are about a guy growing four plants in his house. As long as yeah. he's in his house and not bothering anybody, or, you know, it kind of got that way in the States and a lot of places, too. You know, they're not they're not going out spending a lot of resources going and finding a guy that smokes pot. They they want to keep the meth off the street or from blowing up somebody's neighborhood, you know. Yeah, that's the way it should be, right? Right. I agree. I'm hell yeah. 
We finally have all our kids with BHO in their kitchen. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah, and that's what always gives us an, a bad name too. Oh, a cannabis lab blew up today. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks. Well, yeah, there's, we're there's doing something you don't know what the hell you shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah, too many kids, and then thankfully the rosin scenes kind of helped a lot because this rosin's a lot easier and cheaper to make for people. They can just go buy a hair iron and uh, you know some wax paper and and uh, and a wood clamp, and they're off to. Yeah, you, you might burn your finger, but you won't blow your face off, you know? Yeah, the, you know, so the people that are on the uh, lower on the IQ scale can still make their dabs a lot easier without having to uh, resort to explosive gases. Insert and squeeze. Yep. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, like, the, the whole pressing bubble, especially bubble, is such an easy thing. I know, it, you know, in Frenchie's method, he just takes his bubble, or his really, really fine bubble, and then puts that on between two layers of... Um, like high grade saran, uh, and you know heat tolerant, and and then rolls it with a hot um, wine bottle with you know just below boiling water, and just rolls it in there. And man, does that work well? Yeah, I want to give that a go. Yeah, I had a chance to take his class, and he's he's posted all of it. He actually posted all of it on four twenty. He posted his whole class. Uh, if anyone's interested, you can check it out. Um, although it's totally worth going to his classes in person because he brings like a whole hash bar. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> That's killer. Yeah, I highly recommend anyone go to go go take his classes. But I had a blast. But yeah. Um, so, what kind of insects do you deal with down in Australia? Uh, you know, I know what we deal with here in the states, but what are the the bugs that uh, people deal with down there? Yeah, so we're we're pretty lucky to be honest. I mean, I'm primarily in like exclusively indoors. Um, so I kind of have it good in that regard. Like I any pest is like my fault, so to speak. Um, but I got a lot of outdoor friends and they deal with, you know, the whole myriad. So it's pretty common in that there's the uh the common denominators, your mites, your aphids, um uh fungus gnats, all those things. I guess the most noticeable thing to mention, however, would be that given growing over here in general is like not as common as in the states or being pursued really to that extent for that many years we've got like the added advantage of we don't have like uh, resistance in our bugs so when you spray something with neem oil a few times generally it's pretty much knocked down which is really advantageous and it's something i'm really mindful of of um both myself obviously myself but also like trying to keep an eye out for other people if they do bring clones in being like, don't be the fucking guy who brings it to Australia because we are safe at the moment and we need to keep it that way. And oh. I love the, yeah, I was going to say, I love the fact that like I can kill mites really easily if I happen to get them. And so let's keep it that way. Um, yeah. I'm sure someone's brought russet mites there already. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm sure there are clones here and people have brought <laughs> stuff with them. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just good if everyone would keep that mindset and be like, look, you know, we, we do have a really awesome, situation here because people haven't been doing ineffective avid sprays for 20 years which has built up resistance and so you know what i mean like we can just use really nice organic things maybe a little bit of essential oils in there as well and and they'll be they'll be gone you know they don't and we've also got um a few companies in australia which do like biological predators which is fantastic because for me like that's such a head of the game thing to have like kind of a scene in its infancy yet to also have like these companies or offering like persimilis and californicus and hypoapsis it's phenomenal because they just do such a good job you know and and i'm soil so it's like boom perfect answer to any bug problem for me um 
but likewise outdoors you're probably going to get much the same issues that you guys deal with so like you know your caterpillars your moths um th- things like uh, uh boitress the, the, the rot you know the usual uh, thankfully due to our climate we actually really don't experience pm it's actually really uncommon to get pm and if you do you, you know you can kind of deal with it quite easily I've actually only ever known one person who's ever had PM because typically speaking, the humidity here is too high. I, I believe PM prefers a lower humidity and so it's just usually too humid here. Yeah, so normally it's, it's just really doesn't get a grasp. And then likewise, it doesn't. we don't get those extreme colds that you guys get. So I think that PM really does well in the cold and dry. So yeah, we don't get that really. Interesting. Is there anything uh, kind of more unique? I know in Jamaica we had these these moths that would lay eggs in the buds, and we'd have these caterpillars in the buds that'd be hollow sometimes and stuff like that, uh, especially in May and June. Um, do you have uh, anything that um, anything similar? Um, to be honest, just due to my limited outdoor experience, I probably like I, there probably is, but I probably am not aware of it. But I mean, a few things that I've encountered indoors that have kind of made me kind of second guess was. A lot of people have maybe experienced it themselves, but these things called flower mites, they're really annoying. Yeah, some people haven't experienced them, but basically they're kind of like chill, but they also are willing to wander. And so I initially found them in the in like just in the top part of my soil, like where I got all the amendments and stuff under the mulch layer. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, they're just doing their thing. And uh, and then I guess they they multiplied in population like insanely, and it was it was kind of worrying. And so they started like kind of wandering, like looking for more substrate, basically. And so they would wander up the stems of the plants and onto the leaves and onto the buds. You could tell that they weren't like able to eat anything, like they weren't able to extract any sap, like in like the way that like a bad predator would. So they're literally just wandering around on the plant aimlessly, and then they don't find any food, and then they die. And it was starting to become an issue because there was lots of them. And I was just like, what the hell is this thing? And I realized, like, for me, I'm pretty sure it was because I was, like, grinding up my malt barley. And um, it was just, like, too accessible for them. And they were just they were just eating the hell out of it. But this thing, like, yeah, it really wigged me out. And I thought it was something, like, far worse than what it actually was. And I could have, like, solved the issue yeah. way quicker if I just got onto it. But um, I've never heard yeah, of them. Yeah, check it out. Just Google flower mite. They're really common. And the other thing about them is they're somewhat fast moving. And so if you follow that general rule of thumb of like, oh, it's probably a predator because it's fast moving. Um, You know, I followed that rule myself. And so I was like, yeah, nothing to worry about. Fast moving. Um, But yeah, and it wasn't, and it it followed that rule, you know, it wasn't a problem insect, but it it ended up inadvertently being a problem. They can cause a whole skin reaction in humans called Baker's itch. Yeah, dude, I experienced that. It was not fun. Yeah, man, that was nasty. Hey, we don't have anything. That, we don't have any mites that are quite that bad. That sucks. Well, we don't want them either. So yeah, you can keep those. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything, those in Aust- crazy. everything in Australia uh, tries to kill you, man. There was funny. I was a uh, an article about um uh, how the uh cats, domestic cats, were killing so many reptiles in Australia, and it was like. That's fine. Every all every all the reptiles are trying to kill you anyway. Like everything's venomous there, right? Yeah, well, it's like sarcastic. I can't remember who made the comparison, but it's like in Australia, everything is really small and wants to kill you. Um, but in the states, everything is really big and wants to kill you. So you guys have got like like lions and bears and mountain tigers and just stuff that'll really kill you. But over here, it's like you got to watch out for like this tiny little spider or this tiny little snake that'll get you in the same way. 
<laughs> or a flower mite. <laughs> right? Yeah. Man, seriously, we don't have no plant mites that'll actually like give you a skin reaction. Like that's nuts. Like I'm so glad we don't man, yeah, keep those there. They're ugly little boogers. <laughs> oh man. Um, so do you guys actually have beneficial nematodes? Is that one of the things that's kind of cut off? I know there's different different rules, especially for island nations. Um, is that something that you have in your arsenal? Yeah, yeah. I've used the beneficial nematodes before. There's a company in Australia, if anyone's listening, called Nemasist, and they offer a variety of nematodes that specialize for different things. Um, I've used the one specifically for fungus gnats. Very effective. Couldn't recommend it enough. Really good product. Um, yeah, however, the one thing I would add is I personally think that um, uh, hypoapsis might be a little bit more effective in the long term just because what I found was I did a little rough side-by-side trial and I found that like over the long term, the and this could just be totally random, but like the pot that I gave the nematodes to, that actually ended up having like a fungus gnat issue come back a little sooner than the other one. And so like my rationale was maybe I was able to somehow sustain the hypoapsis a little more longer. And so that like they were there ready to fight off that infection again. But I don't know. I, I would recommend them either way. I'm just trying to personally figure out which one is going to stay in the soil for the longest after I've initially solved it. So, you know, it's going to continue to be effective, so to speak. A lot of those flower mites. <laughs> <laughs> you love them ones. Hey, I'm just going to keep getting this one thrown at me all day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. It's a scary idea, man. We're all scared of that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Mr. Green Jeans, do you have any questions? Is, uh, is the whole breeding... Uh, podcast yeah i heard i missed most of the end of that it sounds really cool i was really interested in the idea of uh of breeding hermaphrodites which i you know it's like i definitely think it's possible you know it's kind of thing you you know what you're doing you know you can do it yeah Yeah, uh, well i think like the most obvious example right is if you look at uh neville's the seed company like his first company or like ssc Oh, actually, no, sorry. I don't think SSC offered it. But if you look at the early companies that were offering Thai, they're very upfront about the fact that like some of the population was hermaphroditic. And so you it can only assume. Anyway. Right. Yeah. And so like. A lot of this... that Southeast Asian uh, genetics. In fact, I, both uh, Mr. Green Jeans and I both have worked with a lot of other super high her, uh, hermaphroditic percentage. Yeah, exactly. And so like what my thinking was is that like, people regard that as some of the best stock on earth and he outright says like we had to breed this for four generations to get it down like the truth is the first seeds he got of those ties were probably hermy and so he probably did exactly what we're talking about like he bred with hermy plants and did like a goal and reduced it down over generations to the point where maybe it's now only herming like 10 percent of the time and that was what was offered as like the f4 tie from the seed bank or whatever yeah and you, you know, and you just say, you're just saying, you know, there's a percentage of them, so look out for that, you know, <laughs> and you know, you have to be hip to that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's a, to be exp- exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it's to be and expected, it's actually. Like- yeah. Well, I was talking to this guy, and we were talking about like just the idea of dosi do in theory. And it was like, if anyone complained about a Hermie from a pack of dosi dough, like you'd have to be kidding yourself because it's like, it's OG cross cookies, right? Like, you, you know, you're really going to complain about one or two Hermies in a pack. Like, 
exactly well known and it's worth the it's worth the uh you know and and all the reason to plant more seeds too exactly you know that this is what i'm always telling people i mean with certain seed batches the seed batch that's really similar to each other like feminized seeds or or something like that doesn't have much variation you know we plant a few seeds and get the whole thing but other things you know you, you should plant more to see what uh, what kind of a span you've got going yeah well, I... <laughs> that's a perfect re that's a perfect example if you've got 10 to 25 percent hermaphrodites then you know you've got to plant enough plants to get you know what i mean to rogue those ones out if that's what you're going to do or maybe maybe even you're not <laughs> maybe you're going to use the pollen <laughs> from them or something yeah but, well yeah. I, I thought about this a lot because um for two reasons like a as a breeder i wanted to think to myself like what's a good answer to give to people when they say how many seeds should i pop to be confident or like people will message me just in regards to the podcast and be like oh you probably know the answer to this how many seeds should i pop like i want to do my own breeding project or something like that and so i kind of like really thought about this long and hard and thought what is the correct answer to this and what i basically was able to find was that generally speaking you know there is obviously the one in a hundred thousand phenos or whatever like you know that whole cherry ak thing from serious seeds or whatever like yep yeah, okay that's cool but generally speaking the lowest occurrence of phenotypes you get that's generally regarded as true is about five percent you know you really like anything lower than that is kind of like more of like a lotto ticket winning thing you know so <laughs> you can get but, but a lot of people will agree that you can get strains where you get like about a 5% occurrence of a certain pheno, but it's, you don't really get lower than that. So with that in mind, if you pop 20 seeds, you're going to see that. However, it could be a male or it could be a female. You know, you, you can you could get 20 different 5% phenos. So realistically, you actually need to pop 40 seeds. And then that way you'll guarantee you get at least one male and one female of every pheno, even if it only occurs 5% of the time so that's great having, yeah having done that i was like that's i'm really i'm really happy with that answer because you know what i mean like it's like you'll see what you need to see there's statistically you're not going to miss anything so to speak and it's also like a pretty good number like i think most people would say like yeah 40 40 seeds is like if you wanted to find a male you know 40 seeds is a good number to start with totally i tell people that that's the good reason you know the reason to be to plant a lot of plants is not so much to be looking for this super special plant because often, you know, the, the super unusual plant doesn't even breed exactly, or at least it doesn't necessarily kick exactly what it looks like. You know, and the goal is not so much that of, uh, the goal is to really see a lot of variations and to understand, you know what I mean? A lot of things about the population. That's the real reason to, go, to grow a lot of plants. Of course, you're gonna choose, you know, Two or three females and two or three ma males probably or whatever and, but you know still it's good to look at a lot of plants as a breeder that's that's the whole thing it's not so much selective pressure there especially not nowadays where you could be growing something that double or triple hybrid has a whole bunch of great drug strains behind it generations and there's a lot of good stuff in there you know so hard for you to even choose the plants 40 plants is a lot. Whoa. But it's great yeah. to have, 
I was going to throw in that I thought you were going here, but you didn't. That Because when you said, well, it's not because you start 40 seeds. Well, partially you're saying you don't start 40 seeds necessarily to get a yield from 40 seeds either. You're going to look at the oh, characteristics yeah, no. of all the phenos and then see what, like you said, the population yeah, does breeding. all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for breeding. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. That's Both of you guys, that's really great advice for people out there. That they're always asking about breeding. I got to... This would be a great show to refer them to. I love that explanation you gave too about the forty plants to get what you want. You know what you wanted. You know. Yeah, um, and, and and just to yeah. even tie back into the point you just made, if you do do this forty seed hunt, you'll find your male, so to speak, and then theoretically, let's just say for argument's sake, you get twenty males, twenty females out of these forty seeds, just so it's easy numbers. Exactly. Of those twenty males, you're probably going to cull down to just one. So you're not even going to necessarily run 40 seeds. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to very quickly, um, you'll start pruning ones off that are obviously not what you're looking for pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah it, it's, it's not as daunting of an endeavor as it may seem. And, and um, you know, yeah. I've done it before and I find it gets really nice results. And, 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 it's, and it gives you a, a way in which you can stand behind what you're saying and not just feel like you've arbitrarily picked a number and you can be confident. You can be like, well, look, man, the math is behind my argument. So it's that simple. It's fantastic. I, yeah, I think it's the most, I think it's, you know, really great, important for people in branding. You know, I think there should be a lot of, uh, there should be genetic, you know, and people who are making concentrates and, uh, and food and things like that, which are a great way to, you know, edibles are a great way to brand also, but it's great for them to connect themselves with known unique genetics you know they they want to you know what i mean they want to be able to say yeah <clears throat> you know my edibles are made from this from uh, this guy's flower and things like that yeah so yeah i mean it's i think genetics is a really important part of of branding in cannabis I feel like it's it's almost everything in a way like i mean jungle boy is maybe the one exception to the rule but even they rely on their genetics like and that's that's what i think in a way like i think by cultivating genetics you almost foster brands around that because people smoke strains and they start loving it and then all of a sudden someone makes a shirt for that strain and it just goes from there you know what i mean yeah <laughs> that's a good way to put it make you put a shirt over it and make a shirt <laughs> you've never heard that before <laughs> i was gonna ask um you know, what what uh, what nutrients or amendments are you are do you have available? I'm sure there's different you know different stuff than what we have available here. And you know you sound like you're pretty sharp on what we have available. You mentioned uh, build a soil earlier, and I'm just curious what yeah. uh, what you're working with. Me too. Yeah. So, um, excuse me. Um, generally speaking, there's pretty much everything you guys have, except for a very small number of things. Um, but even then, you can kind of circumnavigate that. Like, for example, as far as I know, there's no really abundant source to get uh, like crustacean meal in Australia, like really good high quality pure crustacean meal. However, you can order it from the States, like you're not technically meant to, but like, you know, every now and again, one of them gets through, I guess. And so I know some friends who have got it that way. Um, but other than that, there's pretty much everything. So, you know, like we've got like neem, alfalfa, kelp, uh, insect frass, all like high quality compost, pea, you know, like e pretty much everything. I'm just trying to think like we've even got like amino acid products, like obviously not the same brands as the ones in the States. Like uh, I believe Thriven is like a well-known brand in the States. We don't have that brand, but we've got other ones. And I, I believe they're like pretty close to on par. 
and um, pretty much everything. We we don't have uh, available bone meal, which is such a weird one, right? You'd be like, what? Like bone meal? Yeah, it's like, and and we have so much, like we we make so much livestock in Australia and like make lots of meat and stuff. So it's just such an obvious thing to do, but just there hasn't been any demand for it as far as I can tell. And so no one's just really doing it. And so that'd be cool to see that happen. Um, but outside of that, pretty much everything, yeah, I guess the big difference is like, and I feel like that's what's really helped bolster the Australian scene is the fact that people are now growing with a lot of the exact same things that the top organic guys in the States are growing with. And so that's really just, you know, like really improved the outcome of the end product greatly because there are a lot of people who will say to you things like, oh, you know, I've been growing with blood and bone for years and now I use this neem and kelp and oyster shell and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to get way better results. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. So it's... um it's it's good it's like it's the the organic scene here is really thriving and i'm, I'm just so grateful because i'm just so passionate about organics and um i'm like really like not the type of person who wants to like dictate any particular grow style so to speak i'm more of like a you yeah. know here's the things you can use and use them however you see fit right um, yeah and and so I just think it's fantastic that there's all these options available, that there is an increased awareness and that more importantly, I don't know if this has been said on your guys' show, but I made the point on mine the other day that these days, organic indoor no-till is synonymous for the highest quality. And that just like makes me so happy that that's true. Like that the everyday consumer knows that like, even in Australia at least it's the case, that indoor organic no-till, that goes for the highest dollar because it's the best. And that just makes me happy inside. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I mean, oh, there you uh, go. I mean, we all know this. This, you know, a lot of this information wasn't readily available even two or three years ago. You know, some of the I kind of joke with people that you know some of the people that are kind of the bigger names that you know in quotes in the no-till scene are like bragging about six cycle, you know, tenth cycle, whatever. It is, you know what I mean? That's that's only a couple of years that, you know, this stuff has really been getting out there in the media. And so that's cool, man. Very cool. Can, can you answer a question for me, um, Heavy? Um, I, I, years ago, it's funny because I was just thinking, well, I learned a, a technique I tried here that worked pretty well called the no-dig grow bed. What do you compare that is, or is it the same thing as no-till? Or what's the difference between a no-dig grow bed and a no-till? Yeah, I've actually read about no dig, so I can answer this one. Um, I did that, so it was cool. I'd love to hear this. That's yeah, cool. yeah. So they're, they're, they're kind of similar. I guess the difference is no-till would be a little more involved, so to speak, in terms of the inputs. Um, in that, I guess, like generally speaking, if you're not familiar with no-till and you looked at the the widely used inputs and you were looking at buying them individually, you might kind of be like, what the hell are all these random things? Um Whereas the no-dig method is more of like a conventional um, agricultural method. Like that's where I read about it in like more of a standard like um, farming agricultural book. Oh, and well, see, it, the, okay. The one I learned was there were seven layers of different organic matter in there from sand to uh, like these these weeds. I, I can't I, I'm sorry. I'm, I haven't thought about this in a long time. It just came up tonight. But he had weeds in there, some kind of. You know, uh, I can't, re like I said, there was five different layers. It was a layered thing, which I thought might be similar to a no-till. But I, I think you're Go thinking ahead. of a hugel bed, I think is what you're thinking of. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. 
Sounds like a Hugo bread is described. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, it, these terms get really confusing. You know, no-till yeah. is really a term from traditional agriculture. And like most yeah. of the, you know, people don't understand this, but most of the GMO corn that we eat is no-till. Uh, that's how they do, that's how they grow it now. It's, you know, it's yeah. widely accepted. And, and in our cannabis, I mean, you've said it totally right, uh, Heavy. It's it's this uh there's a standard amendments and the standard kind of way and people deviate and you know we we talk about it you know that's kind of been my thing is really getting into the details of it and the conference i put on was was kind of joking about the idea like i made a, a really long name the science of organic regenerative cannabis cultivation conference to kind of like bring out that idea that there's so many different you know sectors of, of this no-till game or this organic living soil game that I don't know. We should talk about it and get into it. You know, like I'm super dork, a dork about it, you know. I think it's probably very similar. And again, it's different techniques techniques that happen in different areas of the world and by different farmers. So I think it's pretty much. I was much, just going to ask how much KNF is, gonna, is in the scene. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, I I kind of like need to fess up here. I just kind of interchangeably use it all together in that, I mean, as much as I acknowledge where things come from and whatnot, to me, it's all kind of just organics. And when I say no-till, I just mean like true organics. You're growing with soil amendments. You're not using like entirely bottled fed in the cocoa system or something like that. You know what I mean? Because there are some companies which kind of try to pull the wool over your eyes with calling it organic in that regard so i guess generally what i refer to generally speaking and it ties back to that point i said about not wanting to dictate the way people grow like i'm the type of person who's like you could use these methods which i guess originate from quote the no-till method but you can also incorporate these ferments which come from knf and it's just i just see no reason why not to mix the two techniques together you know what i mean like that's kind of my sense so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so I guess generally speaking, I would say that there isn't a dedicated scene in Australia to one or the other. There's just organics. So like pretty much everyone uses um little things from everything and you know, and people use a ferment here and there and they use a like an uh, an aerated tea here and there and they use just uh like a foliar feed of some aloe water here and there like so it's kind of like just using a bit of everything um but I guess the beauty is we very much are standing on the shoulders of giants in that we can, you know, we, we see what has worked in the States and, you know, like we're, we're very, we've only come online recently, so to speak. So when we, when people start looking at this stuff, they can just look at this really phenomenal stuff and people have already been there for years being like, this is what I used to grow it. So now that we're finally actually on the ball with doing that, um, you know, yeah, you just, you get really good results basically. Well, that was a good explanation of the no-till, what you were saying. And that's similar to what this, I think this no-dig grow bed was too. I think that's probably very similar because he built it up. He used compost and all the alfalfa and stuff like that. And so I do remember kind of, you know, a little bit. But I think that that is uh, the way people are going. And like I personally have always taught, and our website's big about this, we have um, a phenomenal blog uh, section with over 500 or 600 articles and you know some people get confused because we write these articles and it's doing exactly what you were saying we the articles are written to give you an idea of how to grow we're not saying you have to use this method so down the road you might read an article that kind of contradicts that but it's not it's you got to choose which way you want to go you know yeah and that what you're saying the way you 
Yeah, 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 definitely. I would rather explain to someone how Neem works than to say, like, you have to use this much in this application only. Or do, or you might say, don't you, you know, well, see, you love Neem oil, and I'm not a big fan of it, but I do know it has a place. Well, so, so here's, here's a question. What are your, have you heard about the, um, <laughs> the linkage of Neem oil to, uh, uh, What's the name of the the, sin, the yeah, vomiting can, syndrome? This hyperanemus. Yeah, yeah. So I've actually got a medical background um, in terms of my day job, so I can kind of give a bit of insight into this one. So basically, uh, just to quickly uh, reference, when I just made that comment there, that was actually about neem cake, not neem oil. I'm not so much a neem oil person myself. I mean, I use it, but I'm I'm a big fan of neem cake. So just so everyone knows, use neem cake. Okay. Cool. Anyway, um, neem oil. So basically. In terms of if you look at the actual published literature on cannabis hyperanemus and in terms of the suspected, so when you look at neem oil, it's actually the one specific subcomponent as a dactrin, not even the nimbin, which is the other regarded active component within neem oil. So there's two, two components within neem oil that are considered active. And so it's only one of them and it's the azadactrin. It's been suspected that azadactrin has a linkage to cannabis hyperanemus. However, the problem is, is that the recorded literature has people being admitted to the emergency room after mistakenly drinking, say, 10 to 20 mils of neem oil. Not a lot. However, at that much, you will actually get some pretty bad side effects. Most notably, you can get a lot of shaking, a lot of vomiting, which obviously ties into the uh, cannabis hyperanemus thing. Um, however, the the evidence which says that people got it from smoking cannabis which had been sprayed with neem oil which you know was therefore volatizing as a doctrine it's a it's a it's a less tangible link to follow and so there is a few articles on it which have been loosely written but the the problem is is that there is almost an equal number of articles where basically the 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 outcome is different whereby in one article they'll say yeah it, it, we suspect it's from the weed we recommend you discontinue smoking that weed because it's poisonous and it should stop and in those studies the the cannabis hyperanemus stops so that's that's one thing to consider but on the opposite end of the spectrum there's other people who continue to smoke the exact same weed that they suspect they've been poisoned from and the cannabis hyperanemus goes away and then finally there's people who stop smoking weed but the cannabis hyperanemus doesn't go away and so the, le the literature isn't clear enough that you could actually indicate it. And as far as I'm concerned, it, it's basically anecdotal at best because, um, like, I'll, I'll be honest, I actually thought I had cannabis hyperanemus for a period of time many years ago. And I was one of the people who continued to smoke the exact same weed that theoretically would have been poisoning me. And ultimately, it ended, it ended up clearing up. That You know, there can be some debate about whether I actually had this thing or not. A lot of people who were around me at that time period think like, yeah, dude, you definitely had it. Like, it was like pretty full on. But um, basically what I think is that the link is not proven yet. And it's really quite anecdotal at this point. And as far as I can tell, like, I know a lot of people who have continued to smoke weed, even when they would recommend you stop smoking weed and it still clears up. So to me, it's like, well, how does that work then? Like, where's the poison coming from? Can I ask, uh, is there, has there been any correlation between, like when you said you smoked part of it, like uh, that um, it was all about the inconsistency of the application of neem oil on plants or, and such like that and saturation and, you know, uh, you know, yeah, like million if it was, and and maybe it was on one bud so you got sick and then you smoked the rest of the plant and it didn't have, it wasn't, didn't have that, do you think that's possible or correlation? Was a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, I certainly think that that would have a huge variability, right? Like if, if a plant got sprayed at the start of flower um, versus the end, you know, like obviously that would have a huge variation. But the thing about neem is neem is actually a systemic ingredient in the, it actually, you know, like PM, it gets into the plant. And so it's not just about surface exposure because there is a degree of neem which gets into the plant. My opinion is that it's not toxic or dangerous. And so that doesn't matter. Um, however, like it is worth noting that it does, it is um, actually permeable and uptaken to a small degree. I believe it's like 2% of what you spray on the plant will actually be uptaken into the systemic system. Okay. So, yeah, so, so it, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is even if one bud did happen to cop it a bit more than the other, there is still going to be a certain amount of neem oil within the whole plant overall. The, uh, I think the biggest issue they're seeing in the States is the fact that so many people smoke concentrates. And when you smoke concentrates, you can also concentrate the residue on the surface of the plant as well. And I think that's, yeah. you know, that, that's a whole different kettle of fish as well. Yeah. So that's, that, that would, I would, I would be very, very inclined to believe that you could get something from that because yeah, you, you know, it's a bio, it's essentially acting like a, an accumulator. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah, That's, but I mean, at the same time, I think there's. it's also just worth noting that like a lot of people will admit that when they go through these periods, they were smoking quite heavily at the time. Um, sometimes they'll back off and it helps. I just think like it's also worth noting that like sometimes you do need to watch your usage and just, you know, sometimes you've got to take a step back and sometimes you're just in a certain spot in your life mentally and physically and things can affect you in different ways and it's just worth considering that before we all jump to the conclusion that neem oil is toxic like you know inherently and that it should never be used because i think you know kind of like what roger said at the start it's got a place and a use my my opinion is i would never be using it in flour it's just that simple but um you know what i mean like that's not like i don't want to demonize it at the same time oh, i love that though that you clarified that because that yeah there you go thank you that for all you students out there that's right never use it in flour there you go clarification yeah so that's what i i think like the situation with neem is but i don't know i think it's like i think a lot of organics things like it's hard to find faults with them and i think neem oil might be one of those things where like it's just it's something people can point to and you know, try to discredit organics or like the application of it. And I think it's also related to the fact that we have such limited options within organics for IPM treatments. Neem mm -hmm. is kind of like heavily relied on and like we should, we should really start looking to other things. Like, you know, we've already mentioned the predator mites and I think everyone can probably agree that they're like a really good option, certainly less danger than um, what may occur with neem oil. That's true. Yeah, I was gonna say water close to harvest. You know what I mean? It just uh, if you have container plants, you you can just tip them upside down in 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 the water. Although I'm not sure whether that would also harm the predator mites as well. Heat yeah. treatments. I was actually just you know talking to Josh and Kelly about this. I don't know if they I can't remember if they mentioned it on your, your show or not, but we were texting back and forth. I've heard them talk about it and. and you know, doing heat treatments of like up to 120 for a couple hours um, can knock off a lot of a lot right. of the pests. Even they can take care of the PM too. And you know, my question to them was like, because I'm I'm actually going to do it. I have I have some some pests that are that I'm worried about, and I'm I'm about to harvest part of my greenhouse, but I I I, I need to treat the whole thing and do something. 
for the other part too. And so I'm going to do this heat treatment. And uh, my concern was the terps, you know, what, what's going to happen to these volatile terps on these plants. And uh, so I'm, I'm open well, to hear what yeah. anybody says about that's that. That's a good question I, there. That well, how... Kelly seemed to, they, they were pretty confident that it wasn't going to be a problem and that it, and it kind of makes sense to me because the plant is continuing to grow and it's producing more terps and as it's burning them off, they're, they're, they're coming again. And it's only a short period of thing. And, and the plants actually do love being really hot, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I just love to hear what they, if you guys have any thoughts on it, anybody. Well, there's a, there's a, a couple of different terpenes you, that would be burned off at 120, but it's not many. You well, do you feel like they would regenerate, Steve? Like, uh, well, but, yeah, I mean, they'll regenerate, but it, yeah. you know, at the same time, it, it's you're gonna smell whatever's burning off pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that um, you would you'd certainly lose a lot because the thing is, is you get um, like partial uh volatization so like even let's just say like for argument's sake a terpene volatizes at 100 degrees even when you're below that you're still going to have a certain percentage of it volatizing just like you know like it doesn't have to be 100 degrees for the water to evaporate off a, a bowl if it's out in the sun you know what i mean and so if it if it gets to that point which steve just mentioned like you would be losing all of that terpene not just some of it and then the ones above it you would lose some of that but not all of it but the thing is is that glandular trichomes are insulated by nature and yep. so they they're very much going to contain the majority of it because as we're all aware you know it's not until you really brush the heads do you actually get the I was going to say terpene. that good point good point very good point. Try yeah. well, it's also, like I would never, I would never consider, you know, doing it to a, a, a cut flower, right? But I, I, I'm, I'm nervous about. it. I mean, it sounds like, see, I, I, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to burn anything off. You know, this flower's looking really good, and like, maybe I just need to hold on the ride. You know, it's only two weeks, and so that's kind of the decision I'm in. Well, what you could do is you can actually do a lot of things to really help that. So first of all well-watered plants will close yep. their stoma, uh, stomata. And so basically, um, if you water the plants really well right before you do it, they're going to transpire far less, which is going to help in general. And then on top of that, if you gave them like a foliar spray with a surfactant, that's going to really help. So like my favorite one is like um, saponins, like you get them from like either pure or like soap nuts or like however you want to get them. Just don't and, use them. Um, in, hold on. Don't never use those in aquaponics. Just just be forewarned. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. Out of curiosity, they are harmful to the plants. Instantly fish. kill your fish. Instantly wow. kill your fish. I had it's no idea. It's all about keeping the fish alive, heavy. You got to keep the fish alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll have to rethink that one. Is that so? Is that because of um the the glycoside nature of it all, or like do you know what it's actually? It's like just toxic to them. Uh, I don't know the exact compound in it. Actually, I know that the Native Americans here in California used to actually make a concentrate from yucca root and actually uh, uh, pour it into streams, and then have the you know the other part of the village downstream to collect all the fish to eat. Um, it's super, super, super lethal and even tiny doses. Uh, it's one of the yeah. handful of things in organics that people have to watch out for. Uh, yeah, and you also want to watch out inhaling that stuff as well. I'll mention that um, because, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like when you look at the structure of the molecule, it very much resembles a common structure called a cardiac glycoside, which is quite toxic. <laughs> Yippers.
Yeah, but okay. Well, maybe maybe we won't use saponins in that instance. But um, you know, you could get some aloe extract and just you know spray that on the plants first, and that's going to again provide an extra layer of insulation. And given what um Josh and Kelly said about, I think they only said to do it for like I think they said how long? Like it was like an hour or something. Two. They so, said two to three hours. And, yeah, you know. yeah. So within that time frame, like. You know, I wouldn't want to do it a few days before harvesting, but if you've got a few weeks, I, I see no reason why the plant couldn't adequately reproduce the terpenes that were lost, so to speak, in that very brief two to three hour period, assuming they had, you know, sufficient uh, sulfur and, you know, all the necessary precursor molecules they'd want to make them. Yeah. yeah That's kind of what I'm doing. I was going to hit them, you know, I was actually going to do it tomorrow and, and get up early and water them real hard and, uh, and spray them down with just, I was going to just spray them with water and um but and see what happens but well you have a heater or something to crank the heater i'm in a greenhouse so i just close it up and, and yeah that's what i was gonna say I, all i have to do is shut the fans off and it'll be 120 in five minutes yeah it's it's real easy with that or more yeah or pull the shade cloth back Sorry. We'll see. I'll let you know. I, I can smell those flowers now, so I'll let you know after I'm done if they don't smell this strong. You know. Well, the, the bottom line is either you either do that's we're talking about killing bugs and pests, right? Was well, there any is there any buds on there that are ready to be picked? The the real question would be to do a well, it's not even cut. as much. I mean, I have a large crop, right? So it, I'd throw away the part that's damaged. It's you know I'm trying to stop the spread. Good deal. Um, sure. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's for kind of back to what we were saying about using a neem or any of these tools, for instance, you know, there's a place to use them. And, and it may like, you know, I saw a little powdery mildew. So I sprayed some stuff on it. I'm in flour. I'm not going to smoke that or sell that. But I wanted to like stop the spread of the, the spores. So I did a spot spray and then I just cut all that, that material down, you know, and compost it. If you're, that's um, fine. If you're in a, a grow and you're totally going to sacrifice that plant or plants in that area and you're and you're just trying to keep the spores from spreading in your grow while you're bringing them outside, you can actually spray them down real good with hairspray. You know, glue all the, the things down. Uh, cool. I know a couple of places. Will, <laughs> it's cheap well, and it works really good. Aquanet. What do you think about uh, like uh, you could you couldn't you if you're going to waste it, you could you could coat it with baking soda mix up. Uh, you know, solution too, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, you just want the spores to stay on the plant and not, yeah. not fall well, off. I thought they would once you once you soak them down with the baking soda. It would do pretty oh, much. Oh yeah, that's that's the other thing too. You could always just take the plants and immediately dip them in a you know like a trash can with high pH, like you're yep. saying. Yeah, yeah, because that's what baking soda does. Everybody, if you don't know, it's a it's a very high pH, and then and, and mold can't live in and or mildew can't live in a high pH environment. I like it's not on the side of your house, mildew on the side of your house, and you're painting. So, get put some. <laughs> here's a, here's a question: What do you guys think of Jorge Cervantes' uh, "Wash the PM off the buds" thing? You guys ever seen that? The peroxide, cool. The peroxide bath. Oh yeah, that's no good, man. I I tried that first <laughs> run when I was like you know ten years ago, and like that that was never again happening. Yeah. To see what I thought. thought it was pretty interesting though, because he got the, the he got it all to float to the surface. So I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and and I've given plants a shower before, after you know, at the end of the grow, and then you know, I put a million fans on them and dried them out, and never had a problem. But I don't know, I've never done that particular bath with the hydrogen peroxide. So 
Yeah, um, I did it once and it was really detrimental to the buds. And no, um, and I, I remember I did it because I was at a friend's house and he was just showing me these things. And I was like, man, I know what to do. But um, totally ruined the buds on like every level. And um, and then like looking back on it with like some, you know, kind of better insight into the whole situation. PM is a systemic disease. And so it's not like, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, just, just you're treating the symptom, not the cause. It's still there. So. Right, but someday, I mean, you know, I actually haven't had PM for a long time. It's it's crazy uh, that I have it. I'm kind of getting used to working in the greenhouse, but um, so I treated the the symptom with compost tea, and you know, I as I started to see it come out, and I was just gonna kind of let it roll, and 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 then it got to be like where it was just kind of getting more worse on this one plant, and uh, so well, yeah. The other thing you can do too is um. You can hit them if it's especially if it's still in veg and it's early. You can hit them really hard with Bactillus sibilis, uh, big dose on the roots, and then spray the sh you know just give it a real good foliar spray. The cheapest way to do this, if any of you guys are, um, you guys probably are familiar with the product Serenade. Uh, they sell it in a lot of hydro stores. Um, you can actually make that stuff a lot cheaper if you go uh, to the, your farm store and you get the chicken probiotic. It comes in the little packets. Usually they sell it by the register. You can also buy it in huge amounts, and uh, it's super dirt cheap, and it's basically powdered Bactillus sibilis uh, in a super concentrated form, and it's great for just bombing a plant. Um, Bactillus sibilis loves to feed on that. Um, uh, if you, uh, so does Lactobacillus ferments. If you're doing labs, that's another one that just loves to plow through it. Um, Bactillus sibilis, that's a good one. Okay. Lactobacillus and Bactillus sibilis. <laughs> Great tip. Yeah. Trying to remember. That's all about trying to remember, you know, Bactillus sibilis. Sounds like a sounds like a, a evil twin of uh what what's her name in 101 Dalmatians, you know. <laughs> the other the other thing you could also try is um just swinging the pH. So if you do like a low pH water spray to a high pH water spray and you alternate, uh especially for squash and stuff like that, it can be um just enough to to get rid of it on this at least on that you know if it's just a just starting to take over uh before you uh you know after you remove the infected leaves you can kind of spray the the, the leaves near it oh there you go and, and you're recommending you only spray the leaves right well you gotta get it everywhere and again like he was saying okay, it is okay so i wanted to ask that Systemic, but it's locally systemic until it totally gets into the main system. So just because you have it on a one or two leaves doesn't mean it's totally through the whole plant. But uh, if it's, you know, on a whole branch or something like that or towards the, the main stalk, then, yeah, you're, you're kind of screwed. Uh, yeah. Would you disagree with that? or? No, I, I, I've heard um, Mr. Bob Hemphill say that that's essentially how he beats PM in old cuts. Like he'll just batter it down and keep it localized and then try to allow like a few shoots to grow and remain issue free and then take cuttings exclusively of that new growth and then maybe even repeat that process once or twice and he says that, that um you know if you, if you can do it properly over you know one or two periods of time that's how you can really beat pm that's how you beat a lot of things you just have to treat it and wait for the new growth that's a, a mistake a lot of growers make you know, new, new growers make is that they don't realize that it's the, the bad leaves aren't going to come back. 
you know, once they're bad. But I mean, light green leaves, you can make dark green, but that's about it, I think, you know, right? Uh, so it's, it's, it's really important to know that you always want to watch for that new growth. And, and like you said, you take cuttings, in, in fact, you know, too, yeah, and, and move on. Indica Dogo says they're working on a, uh, at New Mexico Tech, they're working on a mycology uh, or a mycological product that prevents PM. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me given like the existence of um, Bacillus uh, third genesis Israelius, you know, that, that one for um, like, it's like, it's essentially like a predator bug, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's getting to that same level of specificity and on that same microorganism level. Oh yeah. I think the, the individual microbes and then even look at things like mammoth pea getting into Australia. Uh, recently, um, you know, just the the things to facilitate more phosphorus uptake, you know. And yeah, you see that with other nutrients pretty quick. Yeah, well, we've yeah. already got a few basic versions of mammoth pea that are just like you know some uh, just two or three microbes mixed together. Um, may they may even be in uh, mammoth pea, but I've always felt they did a pretty good job. And I look at the price point of mammoth pea, and I'm just like, no thanks. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I think silica also, when the plant's getting enough silica, that helps. I think I, I think it's harder for them to get PM when they, when their walls oh, yeah. are. I mean, it's not going to prevent it completely, but it's it's harder for it to take hold. For example, at Ken's farm uh, at Ouroboros, the whole um, right behind us, there's a, a farmer in, in the greenhouses that is just cover his zucchini and cucumbers that were covered in PM a couple of months ago, and you know right in the spring, really bad. Have nothing and nothing, absolutely nothing in the system got it um, on, on our side, uh, you know, on his side of the the farm because the silica is dialed in, the calcium is dialed in, the magnesium is growing real fast. You know, they're you know a healthy plants got a healthy immune system and can fend off a lot of this stuff as long as they're you know got what they need. Yeah, for sure. And like, you can even go to that next step of like, um, having a fungal dominant soil is going to be more beneficial to the immune system. Um, yeah, undoubtedly. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I did a lot of work with, um, silica levels and aquaponics, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really funny how a lot, uh, silica still to a lot of people isn't even considered to be a nutrient for plants. And we've discovered how much, it, you know, it's super important for heat stress and, insect resistance and mold resistance and um, all kinds of things yeah totally totally and that's why i like using rice hulls for aeration because um you know like just really nice source of silica oh yeah yeah it's the best for organic stuff you use the biochar or just the regular yeah i mean i like biochar but my experience has been like the more how can i phrase this nicely the 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 more well built your soil, the less benefit you get from it. You know, like if you've got a really poor soil and you add biochar to it, you're probably going to see huge improvements immediately. But if you've got a really high end soil, because this is the thing I often think about. You know, like this is at least in my point of view from where I'm at. You know, this is a hobby for me where I'm willing to spend a good amount of money on it because it's my hobby. You know, I go hard on it. It's not about like, I mean, in some regards there's price points, but you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like I'm willing to spend a little bit extra on it. Oh, excuse me. And, and so like, um, kind of in, in that regard, I, I figure like 
why not? And so I've got a really well-built soil. I've got absolutely everything in there. And so at that point, I figure like the biochar, like, you know, it's trying to stop some nutrients from leaching out and uh, it's providing some water retention and some aeration and some things like that. But for the most part, you know, like I've already got a lot of the characteristics, like, you know, I've already got ample nutrients in there. And so what I tend to find is that like I'm using it less and less as time goes by because like my soil is just kind of where it needs to be already. However, if anyone came to me and said like, oh, you know, I've got a much bigger scale project where like money would immediately become a factor, I would immediately recommend biochar because as far as I can tell, biochar and cover crops seem to be pretty much the way to do things on scale cheaply because otherwise it becomes cost prohibitive. And there's a, I don't know if there's a limit on how much biochar you can put in there. Uh, you're like, no, I've, you really I've heard 50%. 15%, exactly. You don't really ever no, want to. I've heard 50. Oh, that's, oh, I've heard yeah. 15. I've used it, and, I think, in a very high concentration too. Like, I don't know about 50%. I used it, it at a 1, 3, and 5% half acre, and it did nothing. But the rice husk biochar I found works really good. I think it sucks nutrients out if you know. I mean, I my theory is that if if you put it in really rich soil, exactly. If you don't pre-charge it, it's going to actually take nutrients out of the soil a little bit. So especially in really good soil, so the I think put it in really nice soil. You know, you're going to kind of reduce your nutrients almost some because it's going to go into the biochar like a battery. I think that's what Heavy was saying. If you've got really good soil, then you don't need. But if you got poor soil, you're trying to rebuild it. It's a good start, right? Probably it's good, better. yeah. I, also, it really sucks a lot of water, so you have to be really careful to make sure it's yeah. completely. Um, well, you have to water anything really carefully. If you're going to use like something with thirty percent biochar, you've got to really caution against making sure that it's well soaked. You know, I can't. I can't remember what I, I was a university study that I found that in. Um, I I can't quote it, but. Uh that's you know that's where i went off because i i built all you know i have a uh, a 30 by 96 greenhouse you know it's i don't know how many there's like 33 uh yards i think of soil i mixed last year no till you know from scratch and there's rice holes in it and i did 15 percent um worm cast worm casting charged by biochar it was worm tea charged and they they let it sit um and there's actually a uh, biochar black black owl biochar here in uh the area i live bellingham washington and um they're kind of on the cutting edge of this stuff and then she was right on on board with that so i think it allows I don't know you about to use more water that was my I, I think i can oh sorry no go ahead <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say i think i think it allows you to use a lot of water or even if the plant's not very big and in a large container if it has and this is you know i'm just talking about containers um you know it allows you to give a great deal of water and and even if there's a fair amount of nutrient organic nutrient in the soil i don't think it will uh you know kind of sour and make beer the the biochar seems to i think protect against that so i think you could use almost like a submerged <clears throat> almost like a semi hydroponic system if you had a lot of biochar in there and still have a lot of organic nutrient in there that's you know, that's decomposing and doing its thing. But I think the bio, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it's just my well, I'm, I'm, maybe the way it looks when I'm using it. Maybe we're not talking about the same, you know, using it the same way. Like mine is mixed no. in. It's not a top dress that, you know, so I don't know if, you know, because oh, it's, yeah, if I'm, you're top I'm, dressing, it's like slowly leaching in, right? Versus like 
no, no, I'm blending it. I'm blending it right into the yeah, into my soil mix, and you know, and I just have been throwing it in, you know, haphazardly. But I know I've done up to thirty percent, not fifty percent, but uh, but and but I don't don't doubt that you could. I, I think it would be a good idea to go to try and pre-charge it first, you know, to soak it in some really strong teas or something like that. And because I've already kind of done a few experiments with that, and definitely it will. The kind of I'm not using this by you know the char the same stuff you guys are using. I'm just using uh, regular hardwood charcoal that I bought a right. bag of, you know, and I'm just crunch. I'm actually crunching it up into small pieces, and using so, it like that, and it's it's fine. It works great. Um, something I'd love to mention is that biochar is actually incredibly understudied, and more importantly, undercategorized. Yeah. yeah, and so. To be blatantly honest with you, no one has actually done any studies to say that biochar is better than just regular charcoal or anything like that. And the truth yeah. is, is that it really the only parameter we have a firm grasp of in biochar is we can control the porosity of it based on yeah. temperature and oxygen content at the time of creation. However, and we still don't really... Yeah, yeah, but we still don't really know like what is actually best. Like You might think to yourself, oh, high porosity, that's probably going to be good. Um, but again, there's no studies that definitively show that. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, like you know, at, at the same time, you can certainly use it and maybe see for yourself that you like it and whatnot. Yeah. But like again, yeah, it's still quite murky, yeah. um, and, and I'm I'm a bit skeptical of that myself. I think it raises the pH a little bit. I think it's kind of I, maybe not as much as I put a lot of oyster shells probably in my mix too. I don't know if that because I'm always recycling my my container mix all the time and. You know, I it, it just continue to add stuff, and you know, <laughs> so the charcoal has been lately one of the ingredients I've been adding the last couple of years, and a couple of times, you know, I've tried to really not exactly OD on it, but see how much, and it seems like the the most powdered stuff is kind of the problem, like kind of maybe goes to the bottom of the container and makes kind of yeah. a sludgy mud down there. Sure. That's that's maybe the worst part about it, but other than that. You know, so I just stopped grinding it up so much <laughs> before I put it in. But I think it's really important if you use that wood charcoal to, to have it, make sure it's wetted, pre-wetted first, because it's definitely going to soak up a lot of water. That's a good yeah. idea, though, to, to, to soak it and let it to suck up like a compost tea. or A compost you know, tea, that's way exactly or, what or I'm Or even I'm, like I'm one of these ferments. experimenting with that, yeah. Or the ferments, exactly. The ferments, sure. like, oh, yeah. I think it actually sank, sank faster. And my theory was it looked appeared to sink faster in the <laughs> the really smelly concentrated tea stuff than it did in the water. So I, <laughs> you know, I don't know if there's any truth to that because what I was doing was soaking the large chunks of charcoal and then crushing it up afterwards, which which is really good because it it makes it easy to crush and it comes up out into nice sized pieces. Whereas if you crush it dry it's more difficult, or at least I couldn't find a really good method to do it. I just do it on the back porch with a stone, with a, I mean, or, you know, a, a tile, a <laughs> cement <laughs> yeah. tile that I just I've smash it a little bit and then flatten it down, stand on top of the tile and do the twist, <laughs> you know, or something. <laughs> and that, that works pretty good. Uh, so, but at least, you know, it's a, a cheap and inexpensive way that you could start to, to experiment with. Totally. Yeah. Sorry. I'm done. <laughs>
That was good, though, to have a biochar segment because you know, we have a whole different perspective with Heavy Days here tonight. And we've talked about it a few times. Uh, heavy, you probably don't know how much you watch the show here, but we've talked about that a few times. And it's always nice to have a fresh perspective from somebody. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's love, a miracle, a nutrient or anything, but yeah, yeah, we we haven't experimented nearly enough. Again, there's still be a lot, a lot to, to eat do. his own. Every grower's got to pick his own poison and grow with it, and then see what happens. And that's how we all can share this different information all the time. Totally. Oh yeah. Hmm. So why don't you? Um, so why don't you tell it? No, sorry, I just a little bit of a. Delay I don't know where did Steve go? <laughs> um, what? Uh, why don't you tell people how to find your podcast and uh, you know uh, yeah. how, to, yeah. how they can find you and, and additional information on what you do? Yeah. So, um, in terms of the podcast, you can you can check it out on like uh, iTunes podcast if that's kind of like how you do it. I think pretty much most podcast apps have got a RSS feed link to it, so you should be able to find it. Otherwise, you can just go straight to the source, which is good old SoundCloud. If you're old school like me and you like SoundCloud, hit up SoundCloud. Um, it's uh, if you just Google the podcast, uh, like obviously the space podcast, um, it, it should be pretty much the first link. Um, otherwise, on Instagram, same deal, and heavy days on Instagram, it all should pretty much be the first link. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm like letting everyone know subtly that I Google myself right now, but um, yeah, it should be the top link. <laughs> Hey, I'd like to invite you to, uh, we've got a podcast section at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com. And I'd, I'd be honored if you got, if you'd come on there and post up your uh, episodes, links to your episodes. We've got, uh, we've got all these from this and we're trying to build a section there. We've got more than just growing with fishes. And so I opened up a podcast section and we got a nice organic section or something like that. If you ever want to share information there, a bunch of friendly members, an older clientele too. Yeah. yeah, man, I'd love to do that. Let's chat more about it. Just, yeah, all you got to do is join and start posting. I mean, you know, like put a link to your podcast so everybody can see it. And then we've got 100,000 or wait a minute. What is it, Hogmaster? Uh, my brain, I'm brain dead. I've been out in the sun all day building a fence. Yeah, it's not a million. Well, we oh, we got a, like a million, a million hits on our website every month. Yeah, wow. A million page views. I'm sorry, a million page views. Yeah, you know? that's impressive. <laughs> so you're welcome to, you know, I, I mean, I, anybody's welcome. It's not like it's special. I'm, I'm not doing, any, you know, anything than inviting a cool guy to come and put his uh, podcast links on our website. And then people will, you pick up more audience from our website, you know, because I think they'll like you if they listen to you from what I've talked to you tonight. It's been very enjoyable. We can, we can yeah, uh, I appreciate it. Cool. that uh, after the show. Okay. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, so, uh, what have you been up to, uh, Mr. Green Jeans? <laughs> Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's the light out here. Here we go. Oh, my God. He's in the garden. I think we got some, uh, oh, yeah, some bananas are ripe up there, aren't they? I can't figure out how to turn the turn the phone uh, camera around. So, so it looks good now. That's be way better than last week, buddy. I'll tell you what. Yeah, that one's that one's ripe. Uh, you cut the heart off. A couple, this one is. Uh, these ones are ice cream bananas or blue Java. <laughs> yeah, cool. Only ones I have now. I used to have. 
I used to have some Philippine borough bananas, but they they were they got really big. And I had originally planted these uh, crepe myrtles. They were really small, and they took a while to get big. And so the bananas in the yard were just sort of temporarily in, until the crepe myrtles are now taking over. They're getting really big, making beautiful flowers in the summer. So I don't water those, you know, the crepe myrtles never get water. The fig never gets water. The low quat way in the back, that never gets water. The peach tree occasionally gets a little tiny bit of water. The bananas, just enough water to stay alive. They lose a lot of lower leaves. So I have to trim them, trim the lower leaves and compost them. There's a nice comp compost pile with there with a bunch of banana leaves and <laughs> citrus trees are going. Yeah. I need to get a sugar right. apple. Some sweet salt. Sugar salt. apple. There's a bunch, you know, they all all my my um my uh passion fruit is vine is just dying, which is really kind of sad, but it was really old. It was a Frederick, it was a, a the commercial variety, purple pine. And I managed to keep it alive a really long time, I think by not watering it is my theory. The first one I had, I probably overwatered it and it only lived about three or four years. And this one I think lived maybe, I don't know, almost 10 years. Maybe. Yeah, um, there's one at the at Ouroboros that's really rocking it. Uh, totally, the hole in the front of it is just totally covered in uh, passion flowers and fruit. It's good. What are those? Yeah. Oh, just some, uh, some various plants that went outside because there really just wasn't enough room. And when I went up north, I, I left a lot of these out to just uh, <laughs> easier, easier for my roommate or friends to take care of. It was too hard for them to get in. Didn't expect them to go in the closet. So I stuck them all out. And I guess they're going to have to get repotted now. They're awfully, that's, they're, they're looking, the containers are very small. Why don't you, <laughs> you, um, why don't you tell people what you were doing up north? Ah, I'm visiting you. I've got already six. Um, I've got six little sprouts started already from the seeds you gave me. Oh, so. damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, I'm very nurturing, you know, how it is. Um, Couldn't wait lessons. to start that new genetic you never had in your hand before. I know it. Lessons with Steve this weekend. So, yeah, I've got to two Shirley Temples. Um, geez, I don't know. I can't see whether that's down there and there and uh two shirley temples to blue hash uh brandy wine and a flow chem dog yeah the flow, chem flow dog. x chem dog so it's one each of those one one brandy wine one flow chem dog two blue hash and two shirley temple number ones nice how about that <laughs> all germinated already in their little pots poking out those seeds came out fast and one yeah. of the blue one of the blue hash seeds was really pretty freaky man it was um it had very uh, strong and wiry root that was uh, uh branching out already and when i was only about you know still in the in the only after two days in the in the you know yeah, I've gotten some really, really amazing plants out yeah. of that um, that seed batch. Some of the Unusual. phenomes have come out of there really, really strong. Um, so the phenome I, from yeah. that was grown in the wind in in Colorado, wow. like on the plains. So it was 
it has really large thick stalks and really deep roots and it does really well for just getting battered with high winds wow that sounds cool you can i can see that they're unusual genetics already just from looking at the seed and obviously really interesting and oh yeah they're all very in size too which is weird with that strain oh huh yeah well that one's the the root is like wiry it's kind of like woody <laughs> it's really strange <laughs> It's like woody and kind of wiry, and it has these little branches coming off it already. And it's only like one or one and a half inches long, totally small, not growing, not even big enough to be growing into the into the paper towel yet, <laughs> and already wiry and and hard, really strange. Yep. And both of those two seeds were gigantic, so of course the cotyledons and the top of the stem are already quarter inch thick <laughs> you know or not really but i mean they're yeah. just they are looking a little a little radiated a little freaky yeah yeah that strain germinates really fast it's one of the fastest oh ones. yeah plus those yeah, seeds i think all, are only they all like came years old yeah yeah i got i think old. almost 100 percent germination i think one shirley temple didn't go something or hasn't yet I, I put it back in and maybe another blue hash and i put it back in so give them a couple more days cool but yeah those other yeah. ones are just, that blue hash man you get some good strong stuff in there Whee! <laughs> well it came well recommended i was like mm, okay i have to plant these <laughs> curious to see how they do for you so it'll be fun it's always good to oh. share genetics and then you got oh, a chance yeah. to take uh take part of my class or most of my class oh my god that was fantastic oh boy was that great oh boy was that fun yeah <laughs> I recommend that that class to anybody. That was, that was you bought wild. you bought like half the trout we had. You bought like <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah. Love the whole wife. cooler of smoked trout. <laughs> yeah, it was really good though. It's really amazing. And you know, the, with the big we have the big Filipino family, and they all love fish. And so okay, we chowed down on at least half of it already. <laughs> you know, it's just. Oh yeah, the trout's great. They, they. I mean, I had four heads of lettuce, and we had the cooler. You know, they had ice in the cooler, brought it back in fantastic condition. Um, we still have. I have some right now. Brought down from the San Clemente. I still have. Really, yummy. I was. I was telling those guys that it's very. Uh, you know, it's a really uh, melt in your mouth, buttery lettuce that doesn't have a lot of plant structure to it. You know, it's really. Uh, really just you know really soft and everything and they were they were <laughs> they were marveling at that it is really incredible <laughs> amazing oh, yeah. lettuce amazing quality lettuce and ouroboros farm yeah well thanks so yeah it was cool yeah, to no, finally no. hang out and uh shoot the oh shit and smoke the weed and uh, have some beers yeah that's a, an your interesting you're you're uh, of, uh rosin oh wow thanks yeah that was yeah so good well you had the way to smoke it i still yeah. haven't got I, I gotta i have to get a i have to get a an, a rig like that something that i can i can use that was amazing <laughs> you got a, it's a bunch of oh, oreo yeah. yes oreo rosin that. low temperature Let's see if my yeah. uh, camera wants to work there we go oh there wow so oreo rosin what's left Yay. nice it has like a 
the strangest smell and terpene profile. It smells like a like a cross between like like smells like chocolate covered DMT. It's like <laughs> the weirdest smell. It's very up. It's very stimulating. It really yeah, it um, has the really weirdest, really strange smell to it. Yes. It really gets your thoughts racing. Um, and you know, it definitely has an appetite suppressant effect when it's made into the uh, made into the oil, the suspension, oil suspension. Have you had it lab tested? Do you know what the THCV level is? Ab and no, absolutely not. But it's been but the plant, you know, we, people have been uh, what do you call that empirically making the observation about the quality of the high for on oreo for a long time you know seven seven or eight years my friend was who is from south africa when he was running his sort of speakeasy and selling where the same place he was growing and getting a lot of feedback you know on like that. so it was very uh, it was very clear that it's one of those really extreme up stimulating sativas you know maybe uh, even, yeah maybe even the most extreme or one of the most that i've encountered and of course it is half durban poison and durban poison is known exactly for that and so that's no no surprise and and whatever i luckily crossed it with you know and this this other strain this German oh you got it you got a chance to try that really old rosin i have the like six-year-old yeah. rosin what yep. did you think of that? Because that is that, really different as well, profile. That was tasty. So. It was good. I, you know, rosin stores really well. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a great way, great thing to do with, to do with. You know, I have to have. I think it's got to have good flour or good hash going in before. You know, um, so it matters what you're pressing to begin with. But I think the product obviously will will store better than flour. I mean, flour it's really hard to keep it. Uh, to keep the oxygen out of it, you know, unless you could do that. <laughs> so yeah. I guess you can suck it into a vacuum, complete vacuum. Also, uh, we should also do a, a quick uh, shout out to um, Canada for legalizing and Oklahoma yeah. for legalizing. Who the hell would have thought Oklahoma was going to legalize medical this week? Like, that was crazy. Yep. They just did it to piss off Texas. That's all. <laughs> now there's more legal states than non-legal there's now. 30 30 states with medical now and there's 48 states that at least have a cbd law yeah that's crazy it's awesome great you victory yeah. six months yeah. i give it six months for national six months no you're dreaming <laughs> Maybe a year. Are you still corresponding with that? I mean, I'm not. I'm not for it. I'm for hold off the horses. You know, a presidential. They're going to do a presidential election thing to try and uh, sway the vote. Watch. I'm calling it now. Right. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> no, Very for real. Soon. The Republicans could use that uh, to help. You know, ebb the tide of the coming wave. Yeah. For real, it would split the a lot of the liberal vote. Oh, you think it? You think if they went ultra conservative, you think there'd be a, it would pull a handful of liberal? No, no, I'm saying that you've already saw like in Michigan the Republicans and the right went and voted for weed um, in order to try and take it out of the election, but they might use it and say, "Hey, we're the party that wants to legalize weed." As weed, if you vote for us, that kind of thing. Gotcha. You could totally see them doing that, or legalizing ahead of the 
right, uh, right ahead of the election in order to take it away as, a, as an issue as well. You know, it could work either way. Well, in the, like the bottom it, line, in the end, it gets legalized. So. Well, is it legalization or is it is it legalization yeah. in name only? Like, like we have in California, where 85% of the counties have banned uh, production and we need to eliminate local control to even be able to open a damn business. I mean, not entirely, but it's get it's really bad. That is. A, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, I I was just gonna stop myself. I was just gonna go piss and piss about legalization. So I'm good. Oh no! <laughs> uh, here, here. Why, why, I bet you. I bet you. Um, have you heard much complaining there, uh, heavy days, about legalization and people for people that live in legalization? If Marty was here, he'd be like, "Hold my beer." <laughs> um, legalization heavy. I have the ability to grow probably two thousand pounds of weed a year. All right. Poor all right. as fuck, dude. Like poor as fuck because of the laws and I, and not not being able to move it because of the it. It's flooded. Like, I actually, I saw, you know, I'm in the building process. So I pulled down, I think, 150 pounds on my first run last fall and froze the whole thing and have sat on it all year. I have not had a single person come to my farm and look at it. I had someone scheduled the day they were supposed to come and they always bail for who the fuck knows why. Like, they just catch a better deal. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, there's certain drawbacks of it, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, that being said, I'm, I'm also confident, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to, about what I'm doing and I'm stoked to be getting into retail here pretty soon. Yeah, dude, I couldn't imagine. But yeah, I mean, for me at least, I, I do have a little giggle at the complaints, but I mean, I, I understand and they're all valid complaints, but you know, like considering we're still in the dark ages, so to speak. Sure, like, yeah, it's like... Um, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's, I don't know, but the thing is, there's also like a different level because the thing is, is like the punishments over here have always been much less. And so over there, like it was a big deal back in the day where like, although we're in that same time period, it's not quite the same where it's like the same big type of deal, so to speak. Um, so it's a little more lax in that regard, but, um, I don't know. Yeah, it would certainly be nice to be able to grow something legally. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, and it's, I feel stupid saying it too. That's why I was like, oh, I got to bite my tongue because. People are like, you know, I have, I have a guy that just moved out from uh, a, a, a non-legal state and he's like talking about saving nugs and saving roaches. And I'm like, dude, you know what I mean? Like I'm so, I have so much weed, it's not an issue, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, California. I throw more weed away than most people like can purchase a year by far. You know, Like, like people say California <laughs> kicked or Colorado kicked and it's like, oh, it's not green <laughs> anymore. Let's repack it. What about but that actually, Canadian? Uh, I just want to say, dude, Heavy, I, I really appreciate your podcast. It's inspired me this year. And uh, what you guys are looking at, these are all seeds. Um, like I, I've been into seeds a little bit, but but uh, after listening to all that stuff, I just got really jacked up. And so these are all seeds. Um, these are all seeds I'm sifting over here. I don't, I don't know if you can tell. Man, that's so awesome to hear. Thank you so much. But that's yeah, so no, cool it's you cool, man. I'm seeds. saving the males. And, you know, I've done a little bit of stuff and a little bit of breeding in the past, but... Um, I just, I got really inspired, so thank you. Get into it, man. Good people, good intentions, makes good seeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me uh, ask you this. Really is, is clones and, and moms. 
here's a here's a question that um, you might know the answer to since you're a breeder, and I'll show you. What's the story behind ABC, Australian Bastard Cannabis? There's the whole legend of uh, yeah, so Doc's foot and Mark Emery and the whole thing, and the, that one plant being discovered and being kept at Sydney. As the story goes, this one plant was discovered in somewhere in northern Queensland, and uh, it was like a perennial, and it was frost resistant. And they kept it at the Royal Botanical Gardens, and blah blah blah. As the story goes, anyway, who knows what's true? But do you know anything about that? Can you speak on that at all? Um, well, okay. So in terms of duck's foot, I've spoken to a lot of people about this, but you know, I'm pretty sure me and Duke had a chat one night and we basically came to the conclusion that duck's foot occurs in Hawaiian land race. So it certainly, as far as we can tell, it's not like the progenitor of that look, so to speak. Um, in terms of the ABC, um, it's an interesting one. I don't. I'm not sure about that story, just because I have seen a lot of people grow and talk about ABC, though I haven't grown it myself or seen it in real life. Um, a lot of people, it, it does flower, so I'm not sure how it could be a perennial per se. I mean, maybe it just lives afterwards, but I, I don't know. Um, but the thing is, that mutation, as unique as it is, I don't believe that it is the sole uh like the only one because there's that guy on instagram um who's got like that mutant plant at the moment and that comes from a pack of coastal seeds and and if i had not known that and i didn't know that for some time and i was just looking at this plant and it looks about as weird yet different as abc so it looks like you know as equally far out but in like a different kind of far out way and, um, yeah, it's this plant, and he calls it, like, Freak Show or Mutant Show or something. He's got a big account. You can probably find the account pretty easy. It's just I'm not remembering the name right now. My apologies. But, basically, I look at that, and I'm like, yeah, that's all ABC was. It was just, like, a, you know, like, it's probably just a random pack of seeds, like, the same as this coastal pack of seeds, and it just happened to produce this most insanely mutant plant you've ever seen. And the problem with ABC, fundamentally, though, is that the bud's of no value. You know, it's, it's not particularly good bud, and it gives you, like, a headache, and it's more of, like, a novelty thing. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Maybe somebody in chat knows what he's talking about that can, can post a link. Um, wow, that's an awesome story. Yeah, so is that is it something like a polyploy gen, uh, mutation? or? Well, I actually got a, a degree in genetics, so I get real personal about this one. There's no such thing as polyploid in cannabis. There's, there's, no, there's been no confirmed evidence. It's all anecdotal. Like People just say it, but it's like, no one has yet to take a plant to a lab and have them check for a third chromosome and it's there. Um, and so I, and, and fundamentally, say again, sorry. You've been with the crocosine, you've been introducing culture scene. Oh, culture scene. When you will be able to, in theory, kind of, almost, you know, heavily, yeah, you, uh, you could, you could certainly try to induce it, but my, my theory is that it's non-viable. It's just simply non-viable. And that's why we haven't seen it. Um, much the same way as like, you know, for example, you know, with uh, Down syndrome, trisomy 21, that's a viable form of polyploidy. However, if you look at multiple other chromosomes, if you have duplicates of them, you actually can't get like trisomy 6 because it just it works out to be non-viable. So I have a feeling that would be the case with cannabis because we just haven't seen it thus far and it's just not documented, so to speak. And everything which people commonly point to and suggest might be polyploidy, it works out to just actually be like 
um, just just a, a generalized mutation. And the thing is, is that you can get big full on full on mutations. You know, so like if you get a mutation within like um, like a, a hox locus, that's going to affect the full on morphology of the plant in every way because that's that's like essentially a regulatory zone for plant morphology. So you know what I mean? Like depending on where the mutation occurs can have widespread results versus it could be quite a small mutation and it just manifests itself as something small, like maybe plant variegation. Yeah, I actually had a variegated um, plant way back when. I actually have a, a, it made it all the way through veg and then it kind of died off in flower. Um, but I, uh, I saw quite a bit of YouTube footage of that. I thought it was pretty weird. I had never seen it where it was like kind of stable, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I I love um variegated plants, right? And I also loved uh whirling phylotaxi, like the three and four node plants. Those are cool. Yeah, that's one I haven't run into yet, but that sounds really interesting. I have a plant that's really difficult to pollinate. And it's also incredibly vigorous and has gigantic leaves and short internodes. It's a clone, and it and uh, some kind of mutation with the with the pistils that make it very difficult to pollinate. Even if you really kind of dust the plant, you only get about four or five seeds. So it's kind yeah, of unusual. But... I don't I don't know whether it's polyploid or not. I've never had it tested, but no, it's well, interesting they, I, in that way. Oh, I would say definitely not, because I mean, at the at the very at the top of my head, there's a, there's a extremely notable cut at the moment, which is the exact same as that capulators Mac mac cut the mac one it's notorious for not accepting pollen um and so yeah exact same situation that's that's most likely um not necessarily a mutation but just more of likely an unfortunate you know reality of the plant yeah that's what i thought that's what i figured it's just it's me i think it's a mutation of the pistol as a lot of them look kind of strange a bunch of them have uh, club foots on the end there's the regular split ones which is not too uncommon but there's many yeah, of them with sort of a club ending yeah if if it is an issue with the pistol then it wouldn't be passing the uh you know the dna down to have the recombination event and form the seed so yeah that could well explain it cool <laughs> very cool no, i'm glad i asked that question because you gave a really good answer i i didn't know that that was actually no one's proven that for for cannabis yet I've yeah, I suspected three, it. Three or four pictures online, and I, I'm very familiar with what they do for other ag crops with the crocusine. But I was, I, I just assumed it would work. But that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, they I, they probably have, and you know, in places like Israel, I'm sure they've fiddled with it like that, and it could work. But what I'm saying is, as far as like just naturally emerging from nature, it hasn't it hasn't emerged. And then the next part is speculation, like in that. I suspect the reason why we haven't seen it is because it's just simply non-viable because you would expect with, you know, the number of cannabis plants that have been grown worldwide by now, you know, it, it probably would have popped up, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, obviously the second part's just speculation. No, it's, it's real interesting though. I'd always thought that that was something that was possible. It's, it's, that's really interesting. So, very cool. I'm glad I asked that. Is there any other weird mutations that you've seen? Um, I know what was interesting to me is uh, I didn't see any um, flat stock, which I correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's fasciation, correct? Yes, yes, yep, that's correct. So 
in Jamaica, they had they did so much open pollen breeding that it, I didn't see that hardly at all. I don't think I saw that a single time, and I went through probably forty acres of plants when I was there. Wow! And, and uh, cool. you know, it was you really interesting. Yeah, it was, I got some videos on my YouTube channel uh, on potent ponics on YouTube, but um, we it was really cool to go through and see like whole fields and. It, it was beautiful from the point of view of like, wow, this is a lot of weed. But it was also like, as from a breeder standpoint, it was like, like broke my brain because I've never seen so many phenomes in one place all at once. Like it was no uniformity. It was like, I don't know. Part of me wanted to scream. Yeah. <laughs> as a breeder. <laughs> yeah. But um, but it was really cool to be able to walk around right at harvest and just kind of pick out look at the structure of the plant right at harvest and then oh i want some seeds from that one. Oh, i want some seeds from this one and it was really neat to kind of you know just be able to look at the traits right right at harvest and and pick them you know fully ripened seeds too which was kind of neat yeah for sure i mean in terms of weird mutations um uh so i haven't been able to do this one but i think it's cool and it's worth noting is I'm sure most people have come across the uh, the fan leaf that's got the little tiny calyx in the middle of it forming. Yep. Um, yes. That, that's a pretty cool mutation. What I saw a guy do is, is you can actually do this really random thing where some people may have seen this other mutation whereby it's not really a mutation, but like uh, you can actually clone leaves. Like if you snap a leaf off, yep. it can actually shoot tap roots out. And so... This guy basically had one of those leaves with the calyx in the middle and he's like snapped it off, got it to root and then he's put it under 24 hour light and then got like a, a stem to come out, like to re-veg out of that single calyx in the middle of the leaf and he's managed to get a clone out of wow. it. I thought that was, yeah, that was like the most inventive thing I've ever seen. That's like sp spur mutation in, in apples or something, you know? I uh, <laughs> I got a, a pepper clone to to uh, live for about two weeks about two and a half weeks on a, on a sativa once wow that's pretty cool yeah because people always talk about like grafting hops and stuff to cannabis oh yeah no it was definitely dying at the end but it you know managed to just live long enough to at least to to finish off one pepper so which is kind of a a, a half-assed joke because my co-worker was like oh what are you doing cutting clones of the peppers to graft your weed and i was like yeah i'm gonna try that <laughs> just to, just to prove you wrong so <laughs> that's great yeah but uh that, that's i've seen a lot of different kinds of different mutations as far as uh what about foxtailing because that seems to be one of the other things that seems to be more prominent in certain strains than others yeah the thing with foxtailing that i find to be really interesting is that it's like it's both uh it can be a mutation or like just a genetic component of the plant you know like some plants are just disposed predisposed to do it whereas others like maybe you give them a bunch of heat and they'll do it and then others like maybe they shouldn't do it and then something causes them to do it so for me it's always hard to distinguish and i also kind of have this internal thing where it's like do i like foxtailing do i not like it like i kind of on the one hand i there's a, sometimes i find it aesthetically pleasing and then other times i don't find it aesthetically pleasing and so it's like you know it, it kind of becomes like such a subjective thing where it's like you know like the devil's in the details of every individual instance for me at least great mm. and totally do you agree. find it's more prevalent in sativa phenols that's what i thought i mean that's oh, what, yeah. definitely Undeniably. oh yeah. Undeniably. yeah okay 
And then um, Mr. Green Jeans actually has a strain that produces lots of twins. What is it? I forget. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that a minute ago, but I was waiting for Mr. Green Jeans. Yeah, yeah it was just a, a seed batch, one particular seed batch that had at least, uh, I don't know, you know, one out of three, one out of three or one out of four seeds was a twin, twin seedling. Really cool. Yeah, that's so cool. So I presume, I... and I didn't, I didn't go back and and rebreed because I hadn't saved that male, and it's very possible that I think it was a generation where I used a couple of males together in in sort of a, a progeny testing kind of thing, but not in the sense of saving the males and going back to breed them, just having it included them. So it's quite possible that one of those males crossed with that particular female, um, always produced because it could, you know, I, I I think you know. If I use pollen from three or four males, that would have been about one fourth of them would have had some kind of influence like that. So I just always like to imagine that possibly that male and that female produced all these twins. But I don't know. It could have been something else too. Maybe it was the female herself that always produced a percentage of twins. <laughs> no way to tell. But it's cool. I never got a, uh, I, you know, I was looking, of course, <laughs> you're thinking, you're imagining, I was definitely looking for a male and female pair because of the theory of, you know, being able to cross them and, oh boy, they're going to be so closely related, they'll I'll have an instant strain <laughs> or something like that. But uh, that wasn't, the reality was they mostly twin males and a couple of twin females. Uh, I never got a twin male and female, at least not out of that seed batch. I'm not saying it couldn't be done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. And who I knows what you... no, makes is it's something like a mutation there again, a mutation in this almost the, the seed form. I wish I could go back and look more closely at that the female. She was uh, uh, a white wizard female in generation five or six and i didn't save i didn't save a clone of her just had the seeds off of her and um so it would have been really cool to be able to go back and look at more closely at the flower itself you know more closely at the pistols and maybe look at the seeds again <laughs> a little bit more closely before popping them <laughs> so and this was i a seed batch that i ended up planting about a hundred of so I kept going back in waves and replanting the exact same seed batch and getting that, getting in the end, you know, 10 or 11 total pairs or twins. That's but I got good. a twin recently, uh, recently too, in this Dutch uh, genetic, genetic seed that I got from uh, Holland. And, uh, you know, I, I immediately, I, I, since I had practice separating them, I was like, oh, cool. Boom. <laughs> Separated them. I still have them. They're not particularly special. They are both females. The entire batch was females. It was supposed to be male and female, but they turned out to be either unbelievably lucky 10 in a row. <laughs> I'm sorry, 11 in a row females, or they were actually feminized seeds, I, I think. My, my theory. Yeah, maybe with <laughs> Amsterdam. I couldn't possibly have been lucky to roll the dice, right? <laughs> 11 times. Or no, it's, I flipped the coin. I'm sorry. I'd be flipping the coin 11 times tails in, in a row or 10 times tails. No. That's not likely. They were supposed to be male, female seeds. Yeah, Did you just assume that seeds gender? 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I. Well, they were. They said on the package they were supposed to be regular seeds. They were non-feminized. And I know Erla definitely <laughs> asked for them when she was there. But, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 11 out of 11 is kind of stretching it. I've had really high or, you know, pack of regulars that all turned out to be females. But that was only, you know, three to five seeds. And yeah. that's just luck. I, well... Well, I like to ask you a question, Heavy, um, because one of my thoughts is that now, see, here here we go, because I feel like I've always felt like I use shorter photo periods when I veg or, you know, when I start, you know, after I start a seed, a regular seed. And I felt like with certain uh, environmental controls and a shorter photo period, I get more females. What do you think about that claim? No. Or, no, it's predetermined. Pre yeah, the moment that yeah, pollen see. hits it, it's done. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying that. I'll never but, say it again. But there are, <laughs> there, are, there are much more wiser and more experienced people who disagree with me, like DJ Short. So, you know, I just guess keep that in mind. Oh, okay. All right, so I'm not I'm not alone in my thoughts then. That you no, can... not, at, not at all. There's very much two schools of thought on this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I've always thought that. Well, I've done the research because, you know, through you know a decade and a half and you know and i've always had a very high female count and you know but I've, i'm a real proponent of shorter photo periods in vegetation and um and 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 stronger root production as opposed to people that like i will never grow 24 zero and you know if you're taught by me you don't grow 24 zero either like you were mentioning but there's a ton of people out there that have grown 24 zero their whole life uh, they're still growing 24-0, and new people are growing. So, it's again, it goes back to we 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 all try to uh, share information, and you've got to take it for what it's worth and do what you want to do. But, yeah, it's interesting. I'm thank you for that clarification that, that you know, you don't like it. You don't think it at all, but, you know, but I wanted your take on it. So, all right, that's that, that weighs on that. So, thank you very much. Yeah, like, I think the thing which makes it hard is, People will always say, yeah, I get like 60 to 70% females or something like that. But people aren't as quick to be like, oh, yeah, and in one pack, I got seven males. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just like, it doesn't stand out in your mind the same. And I think that when I talk to a lot of big breeders, maybe not DJ Short, for example, <laughs> but others, they tend to agree with me that like, you know, for every person who's really happy with a pack of seeds, they sometimes get emails from people who are like, dude, I got eight males. And they're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll get you some more seeds. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. kind of a, a fact of it. This bad yeah. luck. Some plants also uh, give more females, I think. I, I've definitely, I definitely I have some plants here that I think give um, a 70% or 75% or more, you know, ratio of females. I think it's just a, a female, a certain female plants themselves often give a high ratio. But I, and I think it's sort of a genetic uh, thing <laughs> again, you know. So, so I'm thinking it could be all of it. It could be genetically dispossessed to an extent. Yeah, because I use a very short day length is too, is like you do, Roger. Yeah. I don't, I use yeah. 16 hours as well. But right. I don't. I, I don't know if that really. I think I generally get more like fifty-fifty. But I've noticed that some plants or some, you know, strains, certain genetics, they sort of are more likely to have higher, generally a higher ratio of females to males. But 
And then, of course, there's always the possibility that, but the possibilities of these skewed ratios are much greater when you plant fewer seeds. <laughs> well, that's true. And also, I was going to say, you, you planted a gazillion more seeds than I have. You know, yeah, so. when you plant lots of seeds, you get it much closer. You generally get a lot closer to 50 50 <laughs> ratio. That's a good point. And, and I think. Mary Jane always smiles on new growers. I've never seen anybody plant one seed and get a male. I mean, I don't know, maybe like in the fabulous furry freak brothers, but that's a myth. Anyways. I think most of the time, first time growers, if they just grow a bag seed, you know, <laughs> Mary Jane smiles on them and they get a female. And, you know, it's where it happens most of the time. You know, I don't know why that is, but it's true. I don't know. So, but yeah, usually it's 50 50. I've, I've had, especially when I used to live on the East Coast, there was, you know, people knew I was a big star and whatever, and they'd show me their plants. And then it was so funny to see people like super babying, super proud of their plant, and it's a male. <laughs> you know, they've been growing it for like four or five months, and it's huge, and it's a male. But it wasn't their like, first time, was it? It was their second time or something. Wasn't no, it was like their first period. time going. Oh, it was? Ooh, I, I can't tell you how many times. Probably probably six times that's happened to me. Ooh, that's cruel. It's really funny. I've got members, too, well, that do the same there, thing. I've been cooking. I've been growing can, for four, four months under 24-0. When's it going to flower? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, so you can stressful. actually get bubble hash from some of the males sometimes. Some of them frost up pretty good. That's the one thing that I found that you say inter that I've found real interesting is the the information you've been sharing about how you can extract something good out of a male plant, and that's something a lot of people because are interested in because they're always going, I got these male plants. Well, first of all, if you don't want to breed, they're kind of a hazard. But you know, Steve has an idea if you can isolate them, but it, can you really isolate them? You know? Yeah, it was funny. Um, uh, Somebody in chat was just saying how their their uh, you know whole family knows about their their grow and the whole family helps them and it's funny I know a lot of people that do that and helps people uh, especially people with sick sick family members uh, you know appreciate it. Well, I want to give uh, out a shout out to Hogmaster on that because he does that for his family. Yep, that's a great point about everybody getting together like that and. Uh, People, you know, it actually it often does bring together like the older people and the younger people in the family yep. that are uh, interested in growing together. Fantastic yep. point, Steve. <laughs> yep. Bond, family bonding with cannabis. Right. Grow together in all kinds of ways. A family that grows together stays together, right? <laughs> all righty. Well, uh, what have you been up to, Roger? Well, I've, I've been building a fence so I can put up a little greenhouse section. Uh, I, I my, my my greenhouse uh, structure comes in 24 foot sections. So I'm going to take one of them and move it out uh, behind a privacy fence. I'm building on the front of our property and and start uh, construct. A, well, I'm going to do some more research because there's so many ideas, but I've got some pretty good friends that know what they're doing. So I'm, I'm going to be constructing my first uh, aquaponic system in there. I'm going to use it partially for storage to start with because I got some issues with the county, but it's basically being put out there to um, 
for for me to start. Well, I'm gonna I'm basically I'm just gonna build the system that and learn how to keep the fish alive, and then before I'm worried about grow beds, so to speak. Uh, although I'll probably build a grow bed as soon as I get the system going, you know, get the fish in there. I'll be building the system, but uh, I mean the beds and all. But uh, I've got a million things to do, so really I just want to get, actually want to get it there. The, the as Marty called it, I want a mothership. You know, I want to get. I'm probably going to start with a little bit bigger reservoir and a little bit more fish than some people, but I want to be able to branch out to different parts of the, you know, my yard to make different gardens like you know, indoor and outdoor or greenhouse and outdoor, you know, and because uh, I got all the space and and I'm even thinking about the fence, how I've got the shady side for some plants and the, and uh, the well, it's going to be shady some and sometimes here you can't run from the sun, you know, but uh, that's basically what I'm doing. I'm pretty wore out tonight, actually. Uh, it's um, the, thank thanks that we had such a great guest that woke me up, you know, uh, because I was I was wore out from the sun today out there all afternoon, but I had to, I had to do it. And, uh, my, my lady was home. Uh, my strange lady was home today. And so we had to work together and ain't no, you know, taking too long of a break when that's going on. So that's all I'm doing right now. I'm keeping my little perpetual grow going and teaching at I love growing marijuana.com and, um, well run, you know, trying to, you know, we got a great moderating team over there and just trying to, I'm proud of the fact that we've got a, a really mature clientele, the membership, and uh, a lot of people coming in there and loving it. It's very friendly. We, It's a no bullshit community. Um, we don't allow, like a lot of communities you may go to, and I've been a member of a lot of communities, and uh, I've moderated from cannabis.com, you know, to being 15 years later here at I Love Growing Marijuana.com as the administrator. Um and I've uh, got some great friends and staff that we built out there and i um, very happy to be part of that. Uh, I recently got back into it. I was kind of doing a lot of admin stuff and and uh, taking care of my own personal business. But I recently have been going back. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love to go with the forum every day and find the latest post and the new post where new members join and they don't know how to grow. And that's what I love more than anything. I you know, I, I'd, I'd rather, I, I love getting them, them new guys right off the bat so that they, they understand, they get a good foundation on how to grow. And that's, that's what I'm concentrating on right now. The aquaponics system and uh, getting back to the roots of uh, helping these new growers uh, before they develop bad habits, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, I guess I'm the elementary school teacher, you know, of the cannabis world in some ways. I mean, at least that's the part I love. I like that better than being you know, want to you know, like being considered an expert or something. I like making sure the new people have a chance when they get there, you know? So that's about it. Cool. And, um, I've had, uh, I've just been working on our licensing. We're going to have our Canada stuff all tied up here soon. Working on getting our, um, stuff tied down here in California. We're getting pretty close on that. So just a lot of paperwork, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, phone calls. So <laughs> all the all the f not fun parts of running a cannabis business. So. Well, you missed the show. That can tell us how busy you've been because you we don't miss shows around here. And we missed you were in Texas, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I was traveling down in Texas, and uh, yeah, I've been running around all kinds of stuff lately. <laughs> 
one minute wherever the, wind blows. the next minute you're freaking taxed <laughs> yep just don't ride uh, a motorcycle but just as easy to uh, find weed in both places my dude <laughs> speaking of texas you heard anybody heard from our friend brain grow uh i haven't heard from him worried okay, about I, I can look at his facebook and see if he's uh if yeah. he's logged in did we did we make all the aquaponics guys pissed off and they don't they don't come around anymore <laughs> what do you mean where's oh, fish or well marty we know marty's got children little oh, baby fish fish's job has got him so where is he's can't make oh. thursdays too much right now but he that'll change it's not like a permanent thing it's just for now but he'll be back again well it's um, like rain goes to school too didn't he go to school last year and we missed him for like two or three months something like that yep and then old fart grows will be back pretty soon um before too long and then um yeah we'll, we'll have some other people back here soon we have uh, our 100th anniversary coming up i think we're gonna get a uh, uh, spectrum king guys on again soon and um love that got, uh, rasta um rasta jeff from i go from your hearts coming up uh and I, I forget who else is on the list right now i don't have the list open uh for but i have a, a, a quite the list we're gonna have um uh, Suzanne Wainwright Evans will be on the show soon. So, um, sometime soon. She's kind of the world's expert on uh, beneficial insects, especially for large scale. So um, that'll be really fun as well. So, alrighty. Um, is anyone else? Uh, yeah. Uh, why don't you tell people how to find you there, uh, Josh? All right. Oh, sorry. I was no worries. Taking a rip. <laughs> um just on my ig uh dutch blooms and then i also have uh the science of organic regenerative cannabis uh ig and, and website and actually i today i i posted um a facebook group to kind of just have some create some discussion around around that stuff um if anyone's interested i sent sent out some links so and i posted oh. it up on ig is on it the links on my ig Cool. That's awesome. What about you, Mr. Green Jeans? Ah. The original, the one and only. Uh, uh, yeah, we had a great time. That was really fun up there in uh, Northern California. Atlas oh, yeah. had a great time. Um, I really had a great time. Yeah, kick-ass time. What's your website? Oh, oh, Mr. Green Jeans, uh, greenjeansgarden.com. Yeah, they, a lot of people have been, yeah, I've been getting a lot of emails and Earl is starting to uh, getting, uh, starting, has been filling some seed orders and things like that. So I don't have a, you know, a, a, a shopping cart or anything going on the site really, but it's wonderful. I'm getting a lot of, you know, attention from this site and. I mean, from this uh, podcast and other things, you know, I guess I don't know what's what's going on, but it's been awfully fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really great to go up and visit Steve last weekend. That was really super fun. Yeah, Hell yeah. Fun. Brought me some genetics, got to smoke some <laughs> rosin. Yep. Good times. We met those really, you had, you had fantastic uh, students there. They, they, I met the guy from San Pedro, which is right up where, you know, my big Filipino family lives and um and the lady was from where was she from she was native native american yeah older lady uh, from she was amazing and then from humble yeah 
yeah and then gray and uh gray and um uh, mica were from uh, uh santa in, fe yeah santa fe new mexico exactly they were really good. interesting no that was cool <laughs> yeah it was amazing a diverse class of and they're all really serious they're all people who had quite a bit of experience and stuff quite a bit of knowledge already <laughs> they they weren't yeah. <laughs> they weren't beginners they came to the right yeah. place <laughs> hey steve what happened to the <laughs> what happened with the the ceo the canadian ceo <laughs> calling you a liar no, no, all, about prices no, no, it's all, oh yeah 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 there was a there was a guy well, uh, anyways, I can you I, talk allegedly? No, no never mind. I can't talk about that on, on here. No. All right, then never mind. Forget, <laughs> it. forget it. I'm sorry. I've no, been no, waiting for Steve to put no, the no, stuff no. on. I could, I could, I could say this. I had a very interesting call with someone from Canada who did not realize how low the prices were in the West Coast. And then somebody who is probably pretty big in the business and probably has a lot invested in it so he's very upset he's very pissed off at steve for quoting a price that really did not um you know fit his future business plans you know yeah, it was pretty whatever yeah anyways i i i can't really get into yeah, sorry that. Anyways, I, sh I shouldn't it was it was pretty entertaining but yeah i can't can't talk much about that yeah i think, um, yeah, I think that's a new system yeah. yeah so anyways um <laughs> on that note uh what about you Rod? oh you Rod, you are just went over your stuff what about you um uh heavy days how do people find you and your your stuff uh one last time yeah guys um we've actually got a youtube channel i forgot about that yeah the podcast check that one out uh soundcloud the podcast instagram oh, yeah. the podcast still yeah I'm, I'm, i should be more on top of that one right and then uh instagram heavy days Heavy days is kind of like more my personal thing, but um, if you're interested, check it out. I bet you can just Google heavy days and you'll find out everywhere he's at. No That's doubt. Exactly right, yeah. and more, and uh, more. Things you might not want to see. <laughs> Too much. All right. <laughs> All well, I wanted well. to say something real quick since we're ending the show. I did want to, you know, I I was talking about our website. I want to give a big shout out to Robert Bergman and the, and the people over in Europe that, that run the company and uh, for giving us all a chance to have this opportunity and, and to do all that we've done to help people and, and uh, be part of this industry. You know, because I talk about me and we talk about the moderators all the time, but without having a, I mean, we actually have jobs, you know, at a, you know, a cannabis website and it's really cool. And I want to give a big shout out to the boys over there in Amsterdam, you know, for having the foresight to build one of the best, not the best, you know, cannabis forum on the planet. So, so that's my last little thing there. Thank yeah, you. And if, if we're doing shout outs, I'm going to quickly get in on it. Shout out to all my friends who helped me in my endeavors, everyone in Australia who's pursuing, you know, the greater good cause in general, fighting the good fight, everyone who listens to the show, um, yeah, and, and anyone who loves or hates me, thanks, guys. You're the world. <laughs> All around the world. Thanks again for taking the time to come on the show, especially. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, thanks. That's really like the great. most important thing of all. Thank you for having me on the, so the show. I'm so sorry. That should have been like the first thing. So, oh, yeah, no thanks worries. for listening to my musings. I'm sure, um, I'm, I'm sure yeah, someone yeah. found something useful and something not useful out of it. <laughs> 
Oh, you were a wealth of information. Re really, don't sell yourself short. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, it was a blast having you on, and you're welcome anytime. And uh, I'm I'm sure we'll get you back on again here in uh, in a couple sure. of episodes at some point. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to come back, guys. Thanks so much for having me again. Awesome. Stop by anytime. Yep. Thanks. And everyone can find me on uh, Potent Ponics um, on YouTube, and then I you can find me on SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, same as him. Anything that has an RSS feed, really, I'm pretty sure I've uploaded it to at this point. And uh, what else? WeedTV.com. Big shout we out to WeedTV. We're I still Heart uh, well, I Heart Radio, but a uh, big shout out to WeedTV. Our buddies. Well, uh, we'll be switching over there uh, full time and totally not streaming on YouTube at some point here in the near future. Um, just trying to uh, facilitate the chat and and keep things going at least a little bit over on, on the other platform. But it's, it's great to have a, a, a nice place where we don't have to worry about being harassed at all like we do on YouTube. <laughs> so. <laughs> so thanks a lot for everyone uh, watching and uh, listening, and um, we'll catch you guys uh, next week. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye, y'all.